You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Waltorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 26 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and with me in my kitchen studio this week is my co-host Simon Walthorton. Hello Simon. Hello Carlos. Uh, uh, how are you? I'm fine, I'm <laughs> fine. Uh, enjoying this uh, summertime heat we're getting here in the yes, UK. Yes, uh, it's been very enjoyable and uh, sorry uh, to all our listeners, um, we haven't uh, uh, neglected you or anything like that. We have been so busy um, been talking there. to a lot of people and interviewing a lot of pilots. A lot um, of air shows. And a lot of air shows. We had two of the big uh, main uh, air shows in the last few weeks. Um, so that's why we be, haven't been uh, with a new podcast. Um, we've got lots to talk about. And we've got lots of super interviews. Um, some uh, This is uh, going to be our first ever year of um, podcasting. Um, and we've had some great interviews, as I said, at the uh, shows, haven't we? Yeah, we have had some really good interviews at uh, RIA and Farnborough. And I'd like to uh, thank everybody. Um, that we've interviewed, um, because I know uh, they're busy at the air shows doing the displays, but um, all the people we have interviewed, uh, a big thank you to you, um, and we are most grateful to you, and um, and it's just so nice to um, interview so many uh, nice um, display teams, um, including the Red Arrows, and um, all the other aircraft that we've uh, done as well, so it's been, um, it's been really eventful, really exciting, and we've got a lot to talk about. So uh, as we have got quite a lot to talk about, we've obviously got Riyadh um, to talk about and um, the Farnborough show that we attended uh, this weekend just gone. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, cover our Riyadh show in this episode uh, with all our interviews that we've done at Riyadh and talk a bit about the uh, air show, at the Royal International Air Tattoo. And then in episode 27 next week, we'll uh, have all our Farnborough stuff, all the interviews from Farnborough. Yes, that, and that was an exciting air show, wasn't it? Oh, yes, definitely. So as we sit here in the kitchen studio, it's the 23rd of July and uh, it's a Wednesday. And it's quarter to ten in the morning. Yes. A bit of a different one for us, Simon. We don't normally do morning ones, do yes. we? Yes, yes. And uh, we are going to kick off the show, as we always do, with the uh, rundown of the last week's and the current news stories from around the world, the airports and airlines. So if you're ready, Simon? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So then uh, the first news story then kicking off uh, is uh, something that's uh, been in the news over the last week. It's a very sad story indeed, the uh, shooting down of MH17, the Malaysian triple seven that was um, shot down and sadly with all the loss of life of 298 on board. It's a very sensitive um, subject and the news has obviously been covering this um, quite intensively for the last week. And uh, we uh, we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail, are no. we, Simon? Uh, we'll just um, cover, go go with the um, what we know what we know exactly, which has been going on. Yes. And um, as we record this today, the uh, coffins containing the bodies of the first fifty victims of the downed Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 have uh, have been flown uh, loaded onto aircraft uh, to be flown back to the Netherlands um, from uh, from the crash site. 
um, two military du- uh, Dutch uh, C-130 Hercules and an Australian Boeing C-17 uh, will fly the bodies to Eindhoven uh, from Kharkiv <coughs> Airport, where they will be uh, met by relatives, and the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Root, and members of the Dutch royal family. Um, Simon Smith, Britain's ambassador to Ukraine, also at the scene, told uh, the reporters that uh, it's an extremely difficult operation that requires a lot of different nations coming together to pool their skills and expertise. A national day of mourning for the 298 people on board the Dan Malaysian Airlines plane, the majority of them whom were Dutch, has been declared for today, including a silent march in Amsterdam for the victims uh, this evening. A minute's silence will be held uh, before a motorcade takes the bodies to the Corporal Van Oudsen military barracks in Hilversum, where the long process of identifying the remains are going to begin. Mr Root has warned the identification process could take weeks or even months, and a British team of police officers led by the Metropolitan Police will help identify the victims. The Boeing 777-200 took off from Amsterdam Schiphol Airport bound for Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia last Thursday when it was brought down near Gabrovo, Donetsk, where the Ukrainian forces have been battling uh, separatists. Five refrigerated wagons containing 200 bodies were released by rebels in Ukraine on (coughs) Tuesday and it's thought that more than 80 bodies have been left at the scene. Australia's Prime Minister Tony Abbott said that it was unclear how many bodies have been, uh, have a, may have arrived in Kharkiv and how many have been left behind. So sad story really, Simon. Uh, we've both been following this on, uh, on the news channels and, uh, you know, they've got the uh, black boxes now. They've been yes. taken to Farnborough. Yes, I was then um, going to say that. Um, mm. Yes, they've uh, been taken, uh, so they're in uh, good hands now and... Um, um, the Americans uh, want those black boxes to be uh, transferred to Farnborough, um, which is uh, where we were uh, just a few days ago. Um, they have all the uh, necessary equipment there to uh, do a full uh, check of the black boxes, which hopefully uh, haven't been uh, tampered with, as uh, was reported in the news. Mm. <clears throat> so fingers crossed on that one, and we should get more of a detailed um, analysis of uh, what actually happened um, in more detail to this um, sad, sad triple um, seven that was uh, brought down. Uh, it's it's just so mm. emotional, and so um, sad to talk about. Um, and it's um, such a such a uh, <coughs> terrible thing as well, um, Simon, for Malaysia Airlines, yes. who obviously have, have, are struggling uh, anyway. Struggling anyway, obviously with their MH three seventy, and, and uh, it's, it's, it can't be easy for the airline. No, and I know a lot of um, people have cancelled uh, flights with them, and um, the future. Um, I does not. I do not know what it holds for Malaysian Airlines because this has um, just added to the um, difficulties um, that they are sort of having at the moment. And um, obviously, the crash site um, is in a war-torn area, so uh, it's been difficult for all the investigators to get um, permission to actually get um, parts like the black boxes and uh, other things away from the site, and also. Uh, I have heard that the triple seven will be uh, part of that. Will be going back to Farmer to be reassembled, uh, similar to the uh, Lockerbie Pan Am flight, uh, which was assembled there um, to get more of a um, a look at the uh, damage caused and uh, what damage was caused to the aircraft. So 
<clears throat> there is lots to cover on this story, but um, we're going to try and keep it to a minimum because it's uh, very sad and emotional, and um, it's a sensitive time, as we said. So, um, but last night they had uh, <coughs> a report late last night uh, on one of the news channels that they'd actually found a, a quite a large section of uh, fuselage, and uh, this section had um, a large amount of what they strongly believe to be shrapnel yes. uh, holes in. <coughs> which suggests uh, the type of missile that was used to bring down the aircraft, which they uh, have said is, is um, possibly <coughs> the, the BUK or the B-U-K yes. air-to-air uh, missile. Um, uh, the report said that this particular missile does explode um, before just before it uh, hits its target, um, firing shrapnel. So this possibly could be... Uh, the evidence that leads uh, to uh, them finding out uh, what exactly brought the aircraft Yes, down. yes. And uh, another thing, um, just uh, briefly, um, all the aircraft are now, um, anybody who uh, watches uh, flight track or any of the uh, flight um, data um, on um, the applications on your computer or on your phone, the aircraft are now flying around this area um, where the uh, war is. Um, we've seen that. Uh, since we've been looking at monitoring, haven't we, Carlos? Yeah, we have. Oh, yeah, I, did, I did look on that as well the day after it happened as well. It I was, know this uh, is a bit more cost uh, costly for the air, airlines and aircraft, um, as fuel consumption and everything, and longer flights. But um, just for safety, this is a, a good thing. So um, it's just a shame that this has uh, happened because it's just totally uh, devastating for the families and so sad. So hopefully there'll be uh, something found uh, with yes. these boxes. We will keep you up to date, um, uh, obviously, um, but uh, we'll keep it to a minimum. Definitely. So we're going to leave that story, uh, but we will closely follow that and uh, we'll bring you some updates, um, hopefully on our next episode. Um, possibly be up by then they would have found something, yes. uh, some key piece of evidence yes. to uh, think, find out the reasons uh, why. Things are moving fast now, mm. um, so... So, moving on then to um, some news from around Europe then. Uh, This one from the ITCM website. Uh, Titan Airways, Simon, you heard of Titan Airways? Yes. Titan Airways, yeah. They're a London stands-to-based charter airline uh, and sub-charter specialist. Titan Airways has become the first uh, UK airline to gain approval for the EFB, or Electronic Flight Bags, to be used as the sole source of information on its flight decks and has issued pilots of its Airbus A320s with iPad-based EFBs. The EFB is an electronic information management device designed to reduce or replace the need for traditional paper manuals. Functions of the uh, technology include performance figure uh, calculations, chart display, taxi positional awareness, flight videos uh, of entry surveillance and electronic access to documents. The introduction of the EFBs onto the flight deck will enable the carrier to make uh, flight (coughs) operations and maintenance cost savings, improve safety and efficiency, and enhance document accessibility and configuration control, as well as as eliminating the need uh, for heavy super manuals or paper manuals. So it's good then, Simon. They're saving saving weight, um, but uh, I'd, I have to say I'd, I'd still want the paper back up. Yes, yes. We've talked about this before in uh, previous podcasts, and um, it seems as though uh, more and more airlines you're being able to check in uh, using your phone apps and um, and using uh, 
things. So, um, so for yeah. the, for the pilots, this is good. They can have and rather than having a big manual on their on their lap, they can just pick up a, an iPad. And, yes, uh, uh, as long as it doesn't crash um, <laughs> um, on the actual system. So that is a good thing. Um, but like you said, uh, paper is good, as we found out the weekend, didn't we? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Me and Simon had a rather interesting detour, thanks to the wonderful makers of uh, TomTom. Um, yes, thanks, uh, thanks TomTom for sending me and Simon on a 14-mile um, detour, which we didn't need to take. Into London. Into London. That was, <coughs> that was very good. Um, Obviously, when we came out of uh, came out of Farnborough, the, uh, a lot of the roads were were shut off um, due to the air f- uh, the, yeah, the traffic from the air show. Um, so the uh, yeah, so they the Tom Tom very kindly rerouted us um, into well, the centre of London. <laughs> so yeah, good uh, good plug for Tom Tom there. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. But as I said, um, and you said, uh, it's nice to have um, backup. Um, I still carry maps, paper maps. Oh yeah, you can't beat it. You can't go wrong with it. Um, I know it's an old-fashioned way, but um, a map is um, is just one of them things. I know it hasn't got every single street road on it, um, but it still uh, gives you a guide and gets you in the right direction. Uh, and I don't think uh, that the sat-nav... I think it'd be easy if to, to uh, it'd be interesting to find out whether <coughs> airlines who have taken this on um, yeah. still carry paper manuals yes. and, and stuff yes. on, on charts yes. on board be interesting to see whether yes. they still do that. So next story, moving on then, uh, Bloomberg Newsweek, Business Week. Um, Boeing is squeezing more seats into the 737 to boost low-cost carrier appeal. Uh, Boeing is working on a high-capacity modification of its 737 narrow-body uh, model aimed at discount airlines seeking to pack in as many travellers as possible on short-haul flights. The aircraft will seat as many as 200 in a single aisle cabin and is based on the re-engined 737 MAX 8 set to debut in 2017. Ray Connor, Chief Executive Officer of Boeing's Commercial Airplane Unit said yesterday ahead of the Farnborough Air Show uh, uh, this is last week Boeing and Airbus Group are vying to squeeze more people into single aisle jets as clients including Ryanair Holdings PLC, Europe's number one discount carrier seek lower unit costs Airbus previously uh, said that it planned to boost the number of seats on its A320neo by 9 to 189, the same number that Ryanair has in its fleet on the uh, 737-800s, which the MAX 8 succeeds. So uh, the modified 737 model will be targeted at ultra-low-cost carriers seeking high-density seating configurations to pack in passengers on shorter flights. Uh, where demand exceeds capacity. Uh, Chicago-based Boeing will accommodate the high low by squeezing passengers in tighter, with the space between seats decreasing by about two inches, while also adding an uh, extra exit door behind the aircraft's wing, Connor said. So less room in Simon. I mean, there's there's um, not a lot of room now, especially for you being uh, quite tall. Yeah, six foot two. Um, I always uh, try to give a bulkhead if possible on a larger aircraft, and... Uh, an exit, emergency exit, or um, the you know, the galley, uh, um, or the main door, um, just just for the extra leg room to stretch my legs out, or premium economy. If I can get an upgrade uh, for free, or pay just a few pounds extra, um, I just uh, enjoy doing that. So, um, 
but this um, it's a 737 Max 8 uh, aircraft, so it um, just uh, don't know how many extra um, in total it's going to carry. Um, but this aircraft, if they're going to make it a little bit longer in stretch uh, version, just um, seems to Pack work. More seats I in. think we're going to have um, just a budget airline. All the seats will be uh, one class. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Airbus is planning to boost capacity on its largest A321neo um, by adding 20 more seats, um, bringing it up to sort of around 240 people. But um, I'm kind of sort of thinking, at the moment, the the, um, the seating in, in Ryanair or EasyJet is quite is comfortable, I think. You know, there is yes. quite a decent <coughs> amount of legroom. Um, you haven't flown Ryanair before. No, I've flown at EasyJet. Um, but um, the, the legroom you get is good. Yes. Um, I think if they try, if they take another inch or whatever off that, it's going to be tight, Yeah. I think. Um, even on short-haul flights, it is still nice to have just you know, a bit of room to uh, to move. And obviously it makes it, if the seating is closer together, if uh, if you're sitting near the window and yeah. you want to get up to go to the loo, you've, you've literally got to lay in people's laps to um, yeah. to get out of uh, out yeah. into the aisle. I think this will be okay as long as they don't cramp it and it's too cramped. So, mm. so next piece of news, Travel Weekly, uh, Monarch Group is confirmed a $3.1 billion Boeing order. Uh, we talked about this in previous episode uh, about Monarch... Um, deciding what aircraft they were going to take, the Airbus or Boeing, but they have uh, confirmed a $3.1 billion order with Boeing uh, for short-haul aircraft. Um, plus, uh, they've ordered 30 new Boeing, plus an option for 15 more. The company said it was in the process of finalising terms and working towards signing a purchase agreement with the US manufacturer for the purchase of 30 next-generation Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft with options on 15 more. The group's Monarch Airlines arm um, currently operates a fleet of mainly Airbus <coughs> aircraft, and Group Executive Chairman Ian Rowlandson said, Today's announcement is an important milestone in the exhaustive three-year evaluation process and part of, uh, a key part of the Monarch's group uh, transformation and renewal. Boeing truly understood our business and put together a complete package that fits extremely well with our ambitious uh, um, ambitions for the group. With this announcement, we begin another chapter in our long and fruitful relationship with Boeing, and something that which now stretches over forty years. Uh, so that's good news for Boeing, yes, then, Simon. Yes, uh, as we were talking about the seven three seven Max eight. Um, so Bo- um, Boeing have uh, got an order um, through uh, Monarch, and I would imagine a lot of other airlines, uh, budget airlines, are going to follow this. So we'll. Uh, Try and monitor this and keep you up to date. It's going to be a busy time for uh, Boeing. All these yes, aircraft, to yeah, build. yes, definitely. Especially if uh, if they're losing um, fuselages uh, in the in rivers, yes, and stuff. yes, as they did, uh, uh, as they did a, f- a few a few weeks ago. They lost uh, three, uh, three, I think it was three um, aircraft frames. They lost in the river. Yeah, and there was a couple down the uh, bank as yeah, well. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't, uh, well, some people most probably saw them. They were actually. Uh, just the the green main fuselage of the seven three sevens, which had come off uh, from the uh, factory and were en route, um, and the train actually uh, derailed, and uh, the fuselage has actually slid down the side of the valley, and uh, some of them ended up in the river. So all those have been written off because um, obviously they can't be used for flying because of the um, damage and stress of caused to the frame. So they were um, they uh, were in. Just looking here, they were. Um 
They were in uh, a river at uh, Montana. Yes. That's where they fell in. Yes. Um, but uh, we didn't know what happened with those airframes, but I think uh, they probably scrapped those, Simon, yes. don't you? Yes. Yeah. Like, I, like I said, uh, they can't use them because of the uh, damage and fatigue um, the stress has caused them um, and any damage or cracks. They just can't, can't uh, risk using those. So next piece of news then is uh, Farnborough News, uh, where me and Simon have just come back from. Uh, Airbus uh, launched their A330neo at Farnborough. Um, it's uh, launched its 800neo, uh, um, the 330-800-series-neo and the 330-900-series-neo, new engine option, to the new members of its wide-body family, which it says will incorporate latest-generation Rolls-Royce Trent 7000 engines, aerodynamic enhancements and new cabin features. The manufacturer says that the new models will benefit from unbeatable economics, versatility and high reliability of the A330. Airbus claims the A330neo will will, uh, reduce fuel consumption by 14% per seat, making it the most cost-efficient medium-range wide-body aircraft on the market. It adds that the A330neo operators will benefit from a range of uh, range increase of up to 400 nautical miles and all the operational commonality advantages of the Airbus family. Deliveries of the A330neo will start in the uh, fourth quarter of 2017. The A330 is a very important margin con- contributor for the group and uh, it's also one of the most reliable and efficient commercial aircraft ever built. Customers love it with uh, the decision to re-engine the plane and will keep the A330 flying for many more years to come. The development cost for the A330neo will be uh, incurred from 2015 to 2017 with an impact of around seven, uh, minus 70 basis points on Airbus's group. Uh, 2015 return on the sales target. However, we have a very good business case for the A330neo. Once in service, will continue to to, uh, significantly contribute to the group's earnings, says Tom Enders, CEO of the Airbus Group. So that's good then uh, that uh, Airbus uh, took that uh, choice at Farnborough to uh, announce this, Simon. Yes, um, but the only unfortunate thing, Carlos, with... uh this is, um, we actually missed out on this aircraft because it had already packed up and uh, went home, hadn't it? The uh, three, th- yeah, we did miss because, um, we, missed, well, we missed the 350 because Qatar had already uh, yes. took theirs back <coughs> yeah. on Thursday. Yeah, and we saw the markings on the runway uh, beside yeah. <laughs> uh, where it was uh, where, or where it had been on the stand, um, but um, unfortunately. But, but I did get to sit in the mock-up of the uh, flight deck yes, of the 350, yeah, which is good. You had quite a lot of nice comments <laughs> about that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the uh, so the three thirty extra uh, new engine option uh, will be powered by, as we said, by the Rolls Royce Trent seven thousand engines, uh, and will have lots of um, tweaks and stuff done to it, as well as new engine pylons, and uh, it will benefit as well from the latest generation cockpit systems. Um, the one that I saw in the, uh, the mock up had the um, head up display yes. as well, which is good, and yes. something that the Dreamliner has on as well. Yes. Um, passengers will also be able to enjoy a 21st century onboard comp- uh, experience with uh, fourth generation in-flight entertainment systems in 3D uh, mood lighting and full connectivity and also on the flight deck itself the um, the cockpit will um, have uh, up to 10 um, 
uh, these rather large widescreen uh, flight information screens for the uh, for the pilot, which are huge. They're yes. really good, really good. So moving on, next story then is uh, another one um, uh, from Qatar, from Farnborough as well. Qatar, who were there, uh, they've um, ordered a hundred Boeing triple seven nine Xs. Uh, they placed the order for 100 in a deal worth £24 billion at list prices at the uh, Farnborough Air Show. Uh, the Gulf Airline finalised the order and um, the aircraft are due for delivery from 2020. Uh, Qatar Airways CEO Akbar Al-Baker said that uh, it's been a year of many new beginnings for Qatar Airways with the opening of uh, our new home at Hamad International Airport and now these further aircraft orders for the fleet. The Boeing 777 has been the backbone of our operation, and our relationship with Boeing will continue to grow and develop as we go on investing in the equipment that we value and trust. This will enable us to continue to deliver a signature five-star service to our passengers. Boeing claims its 777-9X will be 12% more fuel-efficient than any other competing airplane. Its design is underway and production is set to begin in 2000, uh, 2017 uh, with first delivery, t- uh, delivery targeted for 2020. The airline said in a statement, uh, to date the 777X has accumulated 300 orders and commitments from six Boeing customers worldwide. Now, I've seen the pictures of the, um, yes, the other um, pictures of the 777X. Um, uh, they look stunning. I'm a, a big fan of the 777 and um, uh, the 200 version, the 300 ERs, and uh, looking at this picture, um, I will be looking forward so much to flying this in the future because those wings, um, as with all uh, new aircraft, are actually quite um, curved now, aren't they, mm, um, yeah. for more streamlined. And uh, I know these ones haven't got the winglets or sharklets on, but because the wing design, I think, is more um, streamlined and curved... Um, they cut they curve the, round at the end yes, rather they than upwards. Yeah, they yeah. don't have the need for that, but um, it looks such a um, great aircraft, just looking at this picture, and I know that's the only picture at the moment. Um, but uh, what a what an aircraft that'll be to fly, and uh, that'll just... Um, you got uh, you got a few years to save up, Simon. Yes, I have. <laughs> yep. Do you reckon uh, the um, Qatar and the people who are buying these uh, in the Middle East have actually... Uh, Paid cash, twenty four billion cash. Because <laughs> I would imagine that they they, these, uh, these big, they, they uh, are one of the only sort of countries that pay cash for their aircraft. It it'd be interesting to know, yeah, whether the uh, whether these big airlines like like Emirates, Qatar, yes, where I, they do. I think I don't, uh, I don't think they have to go to uh, to um, get a loan out. No, let's put it that way. <laughs> they've, they've got enough oil uh, uh, to sell to make uh, enough money. So especially like Emirates having like, so many three eighties. Yes, uh, yeah, loads they, more in order. It seems as though they uh, must have the biggest uh, fleet of aircraft in the world. I think out there. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Okay, next piece of news then, Travel Weekly. Uh, AirAsia strikes a $14 billion Airbus 330neo deal. Uh, AirAsia has uh, struck the multi-million dollar or multi-billion dollar deal for up to 100 new generation uh, A330neos. The Malaysian carrier has signed a memorandum of understanding for 50 of the wide-body jets, plus an additional 50 purchase rights with Airbus. The deal is valued at uh, 13.8 billion US dollars and deliveries will take place between 2018 and 2024. It's the world's first airline commitment for the new version of the 330 launched by Airbus this week at the Farnborough Air Show. AirAsia X co-founder and director Tony Fernandez 
said that uh, we have been encouraged, uh, encouraging Airbus to launch its new version of the A330s for some time now. I'm pleased that uh, they'll be offering this choice and bringing us the aircraft we truly need to develop our further, our low-cost uh, long-haul model. So Air Asia, another uh, quite uh, expanding airline, Simon. Yes, They've yes. Been, I've heard good things about Air Asia. Yes, um, um, another massive order. Um, uh, it seems a lot of uh, orders being placed for new aircraft uh, around the world, mm. and um, it's good news for Boeing and Airbus, and uh, I think... Um, it's safe to say that both these airlines have got um, plenty of uh, business to keep them uh, really busy now. So uh, it's good. It seems that even though you've got uh, you have got Embraer and uh, you know you've got the Sukhoi, Superjet, all these other different companies, yes. but Boeing and Airbus still just seem to dominate yes. everything. Yeah, um, with I, with airlines, I think what it is um, they they're mainly sort of concentrating on the larger aircraft, and mm. then a lot of these smaller uh, for um, firms like uh, Embracer are uh, actually just doing a lot of the uh, regional uh, aircraft. Which is good. Yes. Which is good, because we need some, we need some competition for yeah. Airbus and Boeing, really. Yes, we do. <laughs> Next story, then. Evening Standard, the London Evening Standard site, and uh, BA, British Airways, uh, had an oil spill on a London to Newcastle flight that left cabin crew feeling ill and unable to work. A British Airways flight attendant has claimed that an oil spill that seeped into ventilators after takeoff left cabin crew unable to work for weeks. The air hostess revealed how she and her colleagues began complaining of a strange smell and dizziness shortly into the trip from Heathrow to Newcastle last month. The problem was found to be caused by oil dripping into a motor at the rear of the plane and the attendant, who wishes to remain anonymous, told the standard that the smell steadily increased and became so unbearable that before the landing, the whole crew were told to go on oxygen bowls. Everyone was tired and pale, but we recovered, uh, we covered it uh, up quite well. This whole incident has caused me to consider <coughs> resigning my post as I'm now fearful to fly with BA. We had to independently find out what we had inhaled. The A320 Airbus was supposed to return to London, but that flight was cancelled while engineers checked the fault out. The plane returned to service the next day. A BA spokeswoman confirmed that three of the seven crew working on the flight on June 28th are still off work, (coughs) and the captain and co-pilot were not affected, and the spokeswoman said no passengers had complained. She said, we are absolutely committed to maintaining the highest levels of safety at all times and we would never operate a flight if we believed it posed a safety risk to any of our customers or crew. We have an open safety culture and actively encourage our flight crew and cabin attendants to report any suspected issues whenever something is reported and we carry out a full investigation. So that's a surprising sign that the uh, passengers didn't smell this. It was yes. just the crew yes. who were affected by this, but still quite serious, yes, really. Yes, it is. Um, uh, very breathing in anything. Yes, um, and that looked as though it affected uh, one or two of the uh, cabin crew um, just to sort of uh, resign and uh, are fearful. So it must uh, must be quite um, serious. I don't think. <coughs> don't uh, think they. You know, BA have uh, you know got anything to worry about flying with BA? There's just a sort of one of those times when an incident that. Uh, has been sorted out yes but uh, <coughs> still uh, quite bad really okay next moving on next piece of news business travel uh, Emirates uh, launches the world's shortest A380 service 
Oh, I bet you'd love to go on this, wouldn't you, Simon? Yes. Uh, Emirates has uh, launched the <coughs> world's shortest Airbus A380 flight. The Gulf carrier is now operating the Super Jumbo on a scheduled service between Dubai and Kuwait. At just one hour and 45 minutes in duration, the flight is the shortest A380 service globally. Emirates has upgraded the Boeing 777-200LR that currently operates uh, flights EK-857 and EK-858 from Dubai to Kuwait to a super jumbo. The outbound service uh, departs Dubai at 4 in the afternoon and arrives in Kuwait at uh, 4.45 local time, while the return flight leaves Kuwait at 18.25 and lands in Dubai at 21.10. The A380 on the route will offer 14 first-class private suites, 76 flat bed seats in business class, and 399 seats in economy. Emirates serves the Dubai to Kuwait route five times daily using both Boeing and Airbus aircraft, and the new Superjumbo service marks the airline's 25th anniversary of flights into the country. Kuwait is only the second destination in the Middle East to be served by the Emirates A380 after the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So, uh, Simon, that is quite a short flight, really, for uh, a huge aircraft yes, like that. But obviously, Emirates have uh, have got the people to fill the aircraft. Yes, um, I'm trying not to laugh at this. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Let's uh, let's have an A380 takeoff from London Heathrow to Amsterdam. <laughs> Well, they probably probably would do it. Simon. Yes, probably, if they can fill the aircraft, yes. they're going to. Uh, I know uh, our local airport, Norwich, isn't uh, got a long enough runway, but um, you can just imagine it, couldn't you? Um, Norwich to Amsterdam on an A three eighty. Yeah, yeah. That's just, but, that's, once you're up there, it's time to come down again. Yes. Well, it, it's the same with Norwich on the uh, KLM City Hopper. When you do go over, and used to go over on the uh, Fokker fifties and uh, the F twenty sevens. Uh, from Norwich to Amsterdam, uh, you're, you've got such a short flight. You're up, and then you're down. So uh, um, the A380, I don't think it... Do you, do you think they still do a service on that flight? Um, Drinks, food? I honestly don't know. Um, I would 45 ima- minutes. They probably, they probably, they would just, they? About, uh, just about fit it in, but um, I don't imagine it gets to full altitude for long. <laughs> um, so it's, like I say, up and then down again. So next piece of news then uh, from the Irish Mirror. Uh, site and this is something I picked up just before Simon got here today and uh, I thought it was quite bad really considering I fly with Ryanair quite a lot so Ryanair news and uh, someone has videoed um, the uh, bag handlers um, throwing luggage off a plane onto um, onto the tarmac the budget airline has vowed to take action after a video emerged of staff <coughs> roughly handling cases while loading them onto a plane in Italy. Ryanair um, has uh, obviously, we're uh, going to find out who what this, uh, who done this and who the baggage handlers were and, uh, and bits and pieces. But someone filmed um, from, from the terminal building staff at the Bergamo airport um, showing no regard at all for passengers' belongings as they tossed the bags off the plane. The horrified uh, travellers filmed workers roughly handling the suitcases as they wait to board the flight at the airport terminal. And the airlines vowed to take immediate action against the baggage handlers involved. In a statement, Ryanair said that the handling of the bags by our handling agents in Bergamo has uh, clearly in breach of Ryanair's bag handling guidelines and will not be tolerated. 
Ryanair has instructed the uh, Bergamo Airport Authority that we want uh, these two individuals removed from handling Ryanair flights and we have received assurances that this uh, cavalier treatment of our customers' bags will not be repeated. So, Simon, I haven't actually watched the video yet, but you can see a screenshot of it there. Yes. Um, You've, uh, um, I think a lot of people don't realise uh, what is going on now. Um, most people, no matter what um, piece of news or action there is anywhere in the world, um, there's someone with a phone um, or tablet or other means of um, recording and... Um, and there's always something posted up on uh, YouTube. Um, so nothing really goes without uh, anybody uh, uh, videoing it now, does it? No, um, you can't. Uh, I mean, even as we can see from airport workers working behind the scenes as such, you, you just can't. There's always going to be someone see you. Yes, you, there you is. You can't do things like and, this. And uh, you'd think um, the people um, who uh, actually load and take luggage off aircraft would respect the passengers' um, luggage. Um, and treat them bad. Years ago, you used to get a lot of damaged luggage, but the luggage is a lot stronger now, and um, there's not so much uh, manual handling of uh, luggage as there used to be. Um, so uh, it's all mostly uh, scanned and then loaded up uh, on an elevator into an aircraft so someone um, uh, stores it away properly. Um, but there should be respect on anybody's uh, cabin baggage because of there's nothing worse than when you're waiting at that carousel. You sometimes still see it. I've seen it in America and come back at Heathrow. You see someone's luggage and you'll see their bag or uh, suitcase and it'll be in a gigantic um, clear plastic bag because the actual bag is split and all the clothes are open in it. So it is um, it's quite sort of distressing uh, to see. So um, I just hope this uh, matter gets resolved quickly. We'll put a link to this in our show notes yes. uh, on the website so you can look uh, for yourselves and see uh, so to watch this video. Um, me and Simon haven't watched it yet, but uh, we will do. So next piece of news then uh, is uh, something I didn't realise, um, that uh, Gatwick has handed air traffic control services over to a German company. Um, for those of you who don't know, the uh, air traffic control services were uh, supplied... Um, originally by NATS, the National Air Traffic uh, Control Services. And they've now handed over uh, to a German government-run company, DFS, or Deutsch Flugschule... God, I'm not good at German. That wasn't my strong point at school. Flugschirung. Uh, Deutsch Flugschirung, in place of, uh, as we said, the UK's National Air Traffic Services, NATS. Services to be covered by the 10-year contract cover uh, air traffic and approach services below 4,000 feet around the airport. DFS will start providing the new services from October 2015 following a transition period. NATS will remain or retain operations for all air navigation services above 4,000 feet from its base in Shan- uh, Swan- Swanwick. The award is subject to a contract which is expected to be signed at the end of this month. The decision follows what Gatwick described as an extensive tender process in which a number of companies were invited to to, uh, submit proposals. The proposal from DFS was considered superior to submissions from all other contenders and the range of criteria included safety innovation, airport management, technically uh, capability, cost resilience, and the ability to accommodate the requirements of a growing airport. 
Gatwick Chief Executive Stuart Wingate said DFS is a company of great standing and operating an extensive network of air traffic control services throughout Germany. We're very impressed with the company's technical capability, track record and safety standards within its existing operations, along with the experience, efficiency and innovation it will bring to Gatwick. So did you know that one, Simon? Uh, no, I didn't. No? Uh, that's the first uh, time uh, I've just uh, heard about it. So you're reading this out. So, so uh, no, uh, under 4,000 feet will now be operated uh, or run by a German uh, air traffic control company, not Nats. Yeah. And above will be still operated by Nats. So uh, good bit of news there. Next piece from the Thompson website. Uh, Thompson have celebrated their first 787 Dreamliner flight from Newcastle Airport. Uh, on the 21st of July, they celebrated their departure of their first long-haul Boeing 787 Dreamliner flight from Newcastle Airport. Um, flight TOM392 took off from Newcastle, headed for Orlando, Sanford, which you've been to Orlando, haven't you? Uh, no, I no? haven't been to uh, Florida. I've been um, LA and uh, San Francisco a lot, um, but um, not LA, um, not uh, Miami. So Thompson operated this flight on board its Plane Angel of the Sky, which was named following a competition that ran in the region last year. The winner, Danielle Moore from Jarrow, was one of 288 customers who travelled on the flight. In addition to this route, Thompson Airways will also fly the Dreamliner on the first non-stop service from Newcastle to Cancun, Mexico. The Dreamliner has revolutionised air travel and leaves holidaymakers more relaxed and refreshed than ever before with the comfort and well-being features on board, reducing the effects of jet lag. It can also fly much further distances than the similar-sized aircraft and is more environmentally friendly, using 20% less fuel. So uh, good one there for Thompson then. They've, uh, they've got another uh, route in the bag then for the Dreamliner. Yeah. Um, hopefully... Uh, I might get a chance to fly on a Dreamliner at some point. It's uh, nice to see um, a lot, such a, a big aircraft fly, flying from a regional airport. Like Newcastle, yeah, that is good. Yep. Um, hopefully uh, we might see those flying out of Norwich at some point, Simon. Do you think? Uh, Possibly. Yeah. The I, runway's long enough. Is it? Mm. Yeah, so uh, that could be a possibility. That'd be lovely because I'd be up there, I think, just to have a look at it. That'd be nice to see the uh, Dreamliner coming in yeah. to, uh, to land, definitely. So next piece of news then uh, from uh, the travel uh, site, the uh, Wizz Air and Jet2.com. Uh, worse for uh, the Ryanair for extras. Blimey. Uh, Wizz Air and Jet2.com have replaced Ryanair as the European carriers most reliant on extra charges. Airlines around the world collected at least £31.5 billion in extra charges last year, and the study has shown an increase of more than £4 billion on last year's figures and up uh, 1,200% since 2007. The report by the consultancy IdeaWorks company examined ancillary revenue, baggage charges, car hire commission, sales of in-flight food and drink and so forth at 59 major airlines. It found that Spirit Airlines is more reliant on extras than any other airline. Ancillary sources account for 38.4%, a total revenue of the Florida-based carrier. One of a handful of around the world that charge for carry-on luggage, Spirit's optional charges include a $26 fee for carry-on bags. 
This increases to $36 if added uh, uh, to the booking during the online check-in or $100 at the airport gate. $21 for a checked bag rising to $31 um, and also $5 to $12 for seat selection. And it also adds a passenger usage fee of $8.99 to $16.99 to all bookings made online. So Spirit uh, Airlines ancillary revenue sources, um, 43% of those are from checked cabin uh, and baggage fees, 30% from passenger usage fees, 9% from advanced seat selection, 5% from sale of um, flight miles, and 13% from other. Other carriers that charges for hand luggage like Wizz Air came second in the table, and they earned 34.9% of their total revenue through extras. Perhaps surprisingly, Ryanair, once the industry leader, was only fifth um, behind Las Vegas-based Allegiant Air and Jet2.com. EasyJet, uh, meanwhile, uh, came ninth in the table. So it just goes to show, Simon, the airlines can rack up some uh, some quite good um, uh, revenue from uh, ancillary fees like baggage stuff. Yes, and I know um, there's been one or two uh, companies... Um, uh, I don't know exactly which ones, but trying to, um, I think the government is supporting this, trying to get rid of all these um, baggage fees because um, people are complaining because you've got booking fees, you've got extra baggage fees, um, you've got uh, check-in fees. Yeah, there is quite a lot of extras, and what seems like a cheap flight can soon mount up if you add in all these extras on, like for the hand luggage, um, for an extra bag. Uh, for a checked um, uh, selected seat so yeah consume mount up so next piece of news the last piece of news for this news segment then uh, from flight global um etihad broadens and i picked this one for a reason <laughs> etihad broadens code shares with air malta uh, etihad airways has expanded its code share with partnership with air malta as the gulf carrier starts flights to rome the Abu Dhabi-based airline is placing uh, Air Malta's code on its flights to the Italian capital, while the Maltese carrier is carrying Etihad's uh, on its services between Rome and the Mediterranean archipelago. Etihad will additionally place Air Malta codes on its existing flights to Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney, as well as a new route to Perth. The partnership previously covered Etihad's flights from Abu Dhabi to Brussels, London and Manchester. So good news for Air Malta because um, they are um, they are moving on quite well. Air Malta they're doing really well as an airline. I think. Yes, um, um, they did have some tro- bit of trouble a few years ago. Yes, so I you don't uh, actually uh, use uh, Air Malta when you fly, though, do you? Which is for for a very good reason, Simon, and that is because uh, their flights from Gatwick, which are fine, because Gatwick's not too much of a trek really, uh, leave at uh, late at night. Which uh, is not good. Uh, and the cost? For us. Mm, it's not too bad. The cost is, is, is quite good. Um, if we wanted to fly from Norwich, Norwich to Malta, um, not only would we pay a vast amount more money uh, to fly, but also the uh, they fly, I think we've said before in other podcasts, they fly during the week. And unfortunately, I think me, with a lot of people who probably listen to this show, when you book a holiday, you tend to book a week off work. Uh, yep. From sort of uh, you know, book a Monday to a Friday off. <coughs> Not uh, many people tend to book a Wednesday to a Wednesday off, yes. or a Tuesday <coughs> or a Tuesday. So, this um, code share, um, I see this a lot in America. 
um, when I uh, fly to the US, um, you'll have um, lots of different. Um, these are on external flights, international flights, and internal flights. Um, you'll be looking at a check-in, your check-in uh, flight, and uh, boarding time, and you'll notice on the um, departure board or arrival board that a lot of flights do have not just one, uh, but sometimes up to five code shares. Um, I know Virgin Atlantic code shares with Air New Zealand. Um, they do with Lufthansa um, and I think and one or two others. So um, I'm not surprised at this. Um, I don't know what the what it's done for, but I think it's um, just to sort of boost the, um, I suppose, the airline a little bit, do you think? I think it's... it's I don't know what. How how often do you fly, say as such during during the course of a year? If you if you're going on holiday, say, um, I don't know. Um, but in America, it's just it's just every single near enough airline has got a code share um, with three or four airlines. That's like uh, um, a fine example. KLM, they um, code share with uh, Northwest, um, so I've flown. Um, our tickets Qantas with Emirates yes of uh, when we've flown from Norwich before the KLM flights would have uh, the uh, the other airline and then when you get to um, fly uh, the other airline they'd like swap their codes over so you know it's it's just um, one of them things you know they seem as though they sort of code share but they swap the codes round hmm um, Always which, best to check your ticket. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but I've uh, flown them many a times, and my ticket um, I'd have Northwest from Norwich, um, and then I'd be on Northwest, say like aircraft, and it'd have the KLM code, so they'd be swapping each other's codes over. So I don't know what it's done for, but um, there must be a reason. But it must uh, boost the passenger numbers or something. But, um, if anybody knows, can you give us an? Um, a uh, bit of information, email us or or something, because um, we're quite interested in uh, to find out what these code shares are for. I think a lot of the airlines they they do enjoy this code share thing because obviously it. Um, do you it, think it's it, a bit promotion? I think from it, one yes, side to another, uh, one one airline can. Yes, you know. and uh, also I would imagine another thing uh, that I've uh, just thought of that having these code shares gives them uh, extra slots. For takeoffs, oh yeah, definitely, yeah. Because um, they're worth a fortune, yes, as they, we know. Yes. Slots, at air, 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 airport, airport slots. So if you co-share and um, share with another airline, you've not only got your own slots from your airline, you've got theirs. So you're doubling your capacity of um, sort of uh, flight slots, really, aren't you? Mm, definitely, yeah. So um, that may be uh, uh, why this uh, co-share goes on. Because Cyprus uh, Airways sold some of their slots just recently, didn't they? From Gatwick, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, they sold some of their slots, and they were they were they, they were brought for a lot of money. Those slots um, and code sharing sort of alleviates the need to do that because yes. you can have one airline, a big airline, with another big airline it's code yeah. sharing. Yeah, and uh, having all those slots between. Yeah, them. and uh, another thing, uh, a lot of people know this. Uh, got, you've got the uh, Star Alliance, haven't you? Which is yeah. a massive group, and uh, if you're in the Star Alliance, you can code share and share all the aircraft slots um, with all the other airlines, so which I think is a, a good idea. 
It is. The Star Alliance has been going quite a while now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, yeah. There's a uh, there's air, oh, airlines. There's airlines coming into there every now and again. There's a new airline yeah, joining, some, joining the Star Some Alliance. leave, some uh, come in. But um, like we said, having that, you just free up so many um, uh, time slots and uh, airports. So that is good. Okay, so we're going to finish a new segment then, and uh, we are going to come back. Uh, Simon's going to bring you his military segment next with a few bits of military news and his air show news. And then after that, we're going to uh, uh, give you loads of uh, interesting uh, comments on uh, Riyadh yes. and what we enjoyed there. So we're going to, come, we're going to grab a drink, aren't we, Simon? Yes, we're going we to are. grab a little drink, and uh, we're going to come back after this. Long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there we oh. go. <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. Yes, we do want to hear from you, so send us an email, drop us a line. So, Simon, uh, we're going to um, let you do your military and air show news segment next then. So, if you're ready, Simon. Yes, uh, let's uh, do it. Let's do it. So with his military news and air show news, I'll hand you over to Simon. Thanks very much, uh, Carlos. Um, first bit of news is the A400M, uh, which uh, we've seen uh, at Farnborough and uh, Riyadh. Um, it's uh, been carrying out its um, sort of uh, refuelling uh, um, passes um, and tests. The Airbus Defence and Space has conducted the first key test flight with the A400M Atlas uh, tactical transport, proving this type's ability to receive fuel in flight. Conducted over Spain using the Royal Air Force A330 Voyager, the campaign involved the A400M receiving more than 80 tonnes of fuel during 100 wet contracts. The ability to undergo in-flight refuelling will support the A400M's ability to conduct extremely long-range, non-stop deployments, according to Airbus. So uh, that's pretty good. The Atlas has uh, also previously conducted trials equipped with underwing hose and drogue refuelling pods, uh, which enable it the, to act as a tactical tanker. Um, these uh, pictures are quite impressive. Um, <clears throat> I'm just looking at this. This um, 
looks quite a narrow refueling uh, boom that it's got on here. Um, <clears throat> I think I prefer the uh, booms uh, used on the KC-135s, um, which are the uh, just the metal booms. Mm. Um, they seem a bit harder to go in, but the, I suppose there's a bit more flexibility with the uh, hoses that they use on uh, the Voyager here, because... Um, um, they move about quite a lot, and you're not got that much movability on the uh, metal um, refueling uh, nozzles, have you? It's quite good seeing that picture, Simon. <coughs> actually, with the uh, down the down view of the uh, 400M with yes. uh, with the 330 <coughs> yes. in front there, you can see the size difference between the two, can't you? Yes, you can. Uh, but um, <coughs> that uh, refueling hose doesn't look that long, does it? No, um, no, they do look. I think it's the way the camera angle yes. is, but there's probably a lot of distance there. <coughs> yeah. But no, it does look yeah. quite close. But Hats off to the pilots who do that, because that looks such a hard thing to do. Yes. Uh, uh, air-to-air refueling. I would imagine uh, before they actually be- uh, begin uh, air-to-air refueling, they have uh, quite a few sort of just close-up um, aircraft flights to see how they can uh, hold the aircraft sort of at such close uh, formation. Right, the next piece of news is the RAF Typhoons will, from mid-2016, uh, be armed with uh, MBDA long-range bunker busting shadow cruise missiles following a contract signed um, tomorrow to integrate the weapon with the service fleet. Now, I've um, actually uh, heard of the uh, bunker buster bombs. Now, they've been used on previous aircraft. I think the Tornado has had them, and uh, one or two other uh, UK aircraft have used them, uh, the bunker buster bombs, and uh, I know the uh, US like them, because what actually happens um, with this bomb, it actually... <clears throat> goes through, it doesn't explode until it's inside the uh, bunker. So it'll go through the actual um, area that it's designed to go to, and then it will explode once it's inside. So there is quite a uh, a long delay on this before it actually explodes. So it'll go into the uh, like concrete or um, through the ground and then explode internally inside um, whatever it's trying to blow up. So it is... Um, um, good to know that the uh, you, the uh, typhoon will have this um, on board, um, um, and it's such an up to date uh, sort of aircraft to uh, carry uh, this. Um, so looking at the storm shadow <coughs> here, the pictures on the on the site here that Wikipedia, um, it's quite a large uh, uh, missile, air to surface missile, a very strong one as well. Um, has been in service since 2002 with a unit cost of £790,000. Um, it, uh, it's powered by a turbo mecha micro turbo turbojet producing uh, 5.4 uh, kilonewtons of thrust and has an operational range of 310 miles. Yes. And um, as I said here, it was uh, carried on the, uh, it's already carried on the tornado. Yeah. The Salt Raphael. Um, and now the Eurofighter, so um, <coughs> uh, um, I've actually got a thing here. The IPA-5 is on display at Farnborough and has been modified with a unit which will commence flight testing next week after it's uh, returned to BAE Systems site in Wharton, uh, which is in the UK. Um, this one says here, this due to come into service with the Eurofighter Typhoon from 2015, so next year... Um, this particular um, on the typhoon itself. Um, we've got 2016 on the flight international. Have you? Yes. 
Oh, we've got Wikipedia's obviously wrong then. But uh, its origin is from France, Italy, and the UK. Yes. So it's good. That's uh, quite an impressive looking. Uh, yeah, um, this bit of kit. I've uh, seen. If you go on YouTube uh, and just type in uh, "bunk busting bombs in action," you will actually see it launch from aircraft and uh, see what it's capable of doing. So it actually penetrates the ground or uh, a concrete bunker, and it will explode uh, once it's gone through its um, target. <coughs> if you want to see one of these storm shadow um, particular units, you can see one at the RAF Museum in London. Yes. They've got one on display there. <coughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Right, next piece of news. Egypt has confirmed buying more C-295 transport aircraft. Uh, Airbus Defence and Space used at Farnborough Airshow to name Egypt as a previously undisclosed customer for eight C-295 medium transport orders earlier this year. The company last month detailed its... Um, Receipt of contracts for a combined 20 C-295s so far during 2015, with three each designed for Brazil, Ecuador and the Philippines and Vietnam, and the remainder for the nation, the Maghreb region of North Africa. Airbus, on the 16th of July, identified the latter as being existing operator, Egypt. Uh, Flight Global's Ascend Fleet database records the Egyptian Air Force as uh, having taken delivery of seven C-295s, from two previous orders, totalling 12 of the twin-engined type aircraft, of its new commitment will be delivered in early 2015, say Airbus. Cairo's third batch of C-295s will take its inventory of the model to 20 aircraft, making it the largest fleet uh, type of among 19 operating nations, uh, the manufacturer says. Poland currently holds lead operator status with 16 transports in operation. It looks uh, quite a little aircraft. Um, it's classed as a transport <coughs> aircraft for maritime patrol. Yes. Now, I did actually see this um, at Farnborough um, this week, so uh, that little aircraft. Um, but it wasn't actually um, painted. It was just painted in grey. Um, did have uh, pictures of that. So uh, that's quite an interesting uh, aircraft. First flew in 1997, Simon. Yeah, so it's quite one. an uh, old uh, sort of model. And it's been 106 built of that one. Yep. Right, the next piece of news is France takes delivery of its upgraded uh, E3F. The French uh, Air Force has taken delivery of its first upgraded Boeing E3F Airborne Warning and Control Systems, AWAC, um, aircraft following successful flight testing. Delivery followed the ground and flight tests through um, Avord Air, uh, based on a qualification by France's DGA Defence um, Procurement Agency, says Boeing. The mid-life upgrade will provide the crew with more actionable information and better situational awareness and increase the mission's effectiveness and efficiencies, it adds. Um, so another upgrade for this uh, aircraft, um, which is a mid-upgrade, uh, mid um, bringing these into um, right up-to-date. As, um, we love this aircraft. Um, this uh, People don't know, uh, this is the aircraft um, with the black and a white disc that rotates around on a converted Boeing 707. We see them over here, don't we? <clears throat> yes, uh, they're based out of uh, Waddington, RAF Waddington, so uh, they are quite a common uh, sight around here. And um, also um, uh, on the Queen's flight as well, we've seen them, and uh, they are used um, for many uh, sort of surveillance um, projects. Um, but um, unfortunately, we didn't see any of the... Um, any of the air shows, really, didn't no, we? No, we didn't. <coughs> Which no. is a shame. Um, just uh, one of them things... Uh, we saw the P-8 Poseidon. Yes, we um, did. 
But uh, no, the E3 Century first introduced into <coughs> service in March 1977. Yes. And modification activities on the lead aircraft has concluded at Paris uh, uh, Le Bourgier um, Airport earlier this year with work performed by Boeing and its subcontractor Air France Industries, KLM Engineering and uh, Maintenance. Now, KLM Engineering do have a base at Norwich, but obviously um, this base at Norwich isn't um, involved uh, with that. And Flight Global's Ascend Fleet database lists the uh, French Air Force's CFM International CFM 56 engined AWACS aircraft as having been built um, in 1990 and 1991. So, quite an old um, aircraft. But obviously, since it, um, it's derived, as Simon said, it's derived from the 707. Um, obviously heavily modified yes. and with different power plants yes. um, powered by four this one's powered by four Pratt & Whitney uh, TF33 PW 100A turbofans uh, producing 21,500 pounds <coughs> worth of thrust each yeah. and it's good to see the uh, Boeing 707s uh, still uh, flying um, although they've been converted into um, surveillance and aircraft and tankers it's just nice to um, still have these aircraft um, in the sky so um, just proves they're well built yes and that any aircraft is capable of flying many years if you can get the parts for it right the next piece of news um, we've got about the um, this is the first bit about the reds um, and uh, what they're doing uh, today Um and the next few days, this is the uh, display season transit times. Uh, now, I've brought this up. Anybody who listens to this um, today or in the next few days um, can get an idea of um, what's actually going on. Now, today, um, in half an hour's time, um, as we broadcast this, uh, the Reds uh, will be departing RAF Scampton at 11.30, um, arriving at RAF Valley at midday. Depart Valley at 16.55 and display at RAF Valley at 1700. They arrive at RAF Valley um, on the ground at 17.27 and depart Valley at 20.48 this evening and then there's a fly-past of the Commonwealth Games which are taking place in Glasgow. Now their fly-past, as I said, is 21.25. Quite late. It is. um, This will be quite impressive. I'm going to watch this tonight and... um, uh, arrive at RAF Lucas at 21.45, so um, we're flying on uh, into dusk, uh, so it'll be sort of near enough nighttime flying for the Reds. You very rarely see them, but um, say uh, nighttime flying, um, although it will be a lot lighter up in Scotland um, because it doesn't get dark so uh, early up there. And I'll give you the flying times and transit times for tomorrow. Um, now, tomorrow they depart RAF Lucas at 10.25 um, in the morning, and then they arrive at Bournemouth at 11.30. And then they depart Bournemouth at 13.46, display RAF Benson at 1400 hours. They arrive at Bournemouth at 14.34 and depart Bournemouth at 17.44. And then they display at Lyme Regis at 17.44, uh, display at... Um, Lime Regis at 1800 hours arrive at Bournemouth at 1829 so they've got a busy few days ahead and then on the Friday I'm going to keep going with these because um, these dates here depart Bournemouth 1610 fly B of B veteran day 1638 arrive at Newcastle 1700 hours depart Newcastle 1917 hours display at Sunderland 1930 
and then arrive at Newcastle at 1957. We've got quite, I've noticed um, uh, as I'm reading this, we've got quite a lot of uh, late evening uh, fly paths and uh, displays, which is um, which is something that doesn't normally happen with the Reds. But because this is their 50th year, that must be so nice to have the Red Arrows on a, an evening display. It'd be good to see them at night, so I've never seen them at night. No. Whether well, that'd be good to see with the lights on, yeah, so. and the sunsets. Um, it should be uh, pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, good there. Um, so I'm um, just looking here. Right, um, Saturday, they depart Newcastle at twelve fifty nine. Display at East Fortune, which is a lovely uh, little um, place to go. I've been there, and they got the Conc- one of the Concords in there. Um, display at East Fortune at thirteen fifteen. Arrive at Newcastle thirteen forty eight. Depart Newcastle, 16.22. Display at Sunderland, 16.35. And then arrive at Newcastle at 17.02. Right, Sunday, uh, they depart Newcastle, 11.51. Arrive at RAF Scampton, 12.40. Depart Scampton, 15.41. Uh, fly past Hull Veterans Weekend at 15.53. Display at Cleethorpes at 16.00 hours. And then they return back at Scampton, at 1628, um, 28th of July to the 6th of August, no flying. So that is um, a quick rundown of the next few days for the Red Arrows and what they're doing. They're quite busy. So if you are um, about at any of those locations, enjoy the show. Um, this is all, uh, good as ever. Um, and uh, we've enjoyed it um, since we've been watching the, over the last uh, few air shows, haven't we? We have, definitely. Uh, it's been really, really good. Um, some good pictures. Uh, yeah, and um, we're posting some of them up on Facebook and our page. And also, on BBC Two this Sunday, it's called Reds Inside Bubble. It's on BBC Two at nine o'clock on the 27th of July. It gives you a, uh, an insight into the Red Arrows and their 50th display season, uh, which is quite a thing. And it was also repeated on the Monday... Um, a little bit earlier on the uh, Monday the twenty eighth. So if you are interested and you like the Red Arrows a lot as I do and Carlos does, um, you um, you can't afford to miss this because this uh, will be quite interesting. We'll get a full insight into the uh, background of the Reds and and their fiftieth display season and what what the future holds. So it'll be well worth uh, going to that. Um, so. Right, the next piece of news is um, just the air shows, um, which I've covered uh, with the Reds when they're flying, um, but we've got the sort of air shows uh, that are um, actually going on in the next um, few days. We've got the Sunderland International Air Show, it's at Tyne and Weir, and their postcode is, um, if you have a pen and paper handy, is SR69NS, and that's the 25th to the 27th. Um, of July, and then uh, Yelverton, um, which is Royal Navy uh, Air Show uh, Yelverton Air Day at Somerset, it's on the 26th, um, their postcode is BA228HB, now that sounds like a flight number on a uh, flight, doesn't it? Mm. Um, East Fortune is on the 26th of um, July, and that is uh, their postcode is eh. 395LF, that's near Edinburgh. And then the 26th of July, Spitfires and Merlin's Motors, um, Imperial War Museum, Duxford. Uh, Merlin's and Motors celebrates the legendary super uh, Spitfire, the unmistakable Merlin engine, the golden age of motoring. So that is CB224QR. And then we've got the old Buckingham Air Show, um, which is South Norfolk's most popular air show, held over two days. 
And there's NR171PU. That's the first time they're holding that over two days as well this year. Yes, yeah, so that's um, getting quite popular. I'm going to have to go up there because I mm. uh, haven't been to that yet. And uh, I know it's uh, quite a, an interesting uh, air show to go to. Um, you get lots of uh, prop aircraft there. The Cleethorpes Air Festival of Flight, Lincolnshire. That is DN358SE. The Shuttleworth Wings and Wheels Air Show. Now, I've never been at Shuttleworth. That's another one I need to go to. Um, there's quite a few. Um, which is on the 27th uh, of uh, July, and that is SG18, 9EP, and then the 31st of um, this month, which is Coldrose um, Air Day, Cornwall, uh, which is TR127RH. Um, now, they're the air shows. That I'll, there are more after this, but that is, um, I'll give you next week um, more as we head towards our... Um, as we go into our time into August, um, so we're sort of into main air show dis- display season time now, and uh, it's just amazing how quickly time flies on all these air shows, and uh, and uh, how quickly uh, we're just uh, whizzing through these. Um, before you know it, it'll be the end of the uh, display season. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to our. Um, we can, I think, we can uh, near enough call him one of our. Um, sort of correspondents now, can't we? Uh, David Harris. Yep, David Harris. We uh, we've met with David Harris a few, uh, a few at, times uh, now. A few times now, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he is just such a um, uh, lovely chap, and has got such a uh, uh, massive encyclopedia of um, things about aircraft. All the flight numbers are logged. Um, what aircraft are flying? Uh, what aircraft are on the ground? When they're flying? The ones in the air on the day he keeps a complete diary of every single aircraft movement throughout the day, wherever he is, whatever air show, or whatever airport he travels to, and um, and it's so great to just watch him jotting down all the numbers. And uh, also, we had the we've had three bird strikes of the red arrows in the last few weeks, um, which is thing we've got two aircraft which are out of service, and the third one uh, did have a bird strike, but is still in service, which is X-Ray X-Ray 311. Now, uh, the other two aircraft, are, I think, are both back at Scampton now. Um, I know X-Ray X-Ray 177, <coughs> excuse me, is back, and uh, the other aircraft was at Farnborough. But um, I uh, don't know, I think it should have uh, been transported back to Scampton now, so... Um, it's uh, it's been uh, quite uh, an eventful uh, sort of uh, few uh, weeks for the Reds. Um, we interviewed quite a few people at Riyadh, so which we'll talk about now. Yeah, um, uh, we've got uh, we interviewed um, Mike Childs, didn't we? Uh, Red Nine, Red Nine, yeah. and uh, it was so nice, um, and I was so grateful um, to the uh, guys uh, there for the interview. Um, one uh, special. Uh, Thank you. I'd like to uh, give out, uh, if I can find his card, um, the guy who actually... Um, who organised it. Who yeah. organised Very, it. very, uh, very um, graciously let us uh, into yes, the uh, Reds enclosure. Yes, and I spoke to him uh, at Farnborough the other day. It's Andrew Morton of the Reds, and he's the PR, public relations manager for the REF Red Arrows. And um, I'm most grateful uh, to him, and I mean that most sincerely, uh, Andrew. Um, it was such um, an honour for you to invite us um, in to uh, interview the Red Arrows. Because that was quite a, um, 
a sort of a security intense sort of enclosure, really. Yes, race. yes, it was. Um, um, invitation only. Yes, and uh, we got in there just for a few minutes, um, which we're most grateful for. And we had such a uh, great time. We were made to feel very welcome. And um, it was so nice to um, interview uh, Mike Child's Red Nine. Should we, should we play that interview uh, now? Yeah, yes, um, let's play that interview now for you all to listen to. It's so we'll play the interview that uh, we done at the uh, Royal International Air Tattoo then with uh, Red Nine, Mike Child. Okay then, so you join us for uh, another segment in on the show. And we're here, as always, at the Royal International Air Tattoo, RAF Fairford. And uh, we've been absolutely privileged to be allowed to uh, come into the Red Arrows enclosure. And we're here to speak to Mike Child. And uh, you are Red Nine. I am, that's correct. Excellent. So, Mike, uh, how, did, uh, how did it all start for you then in the Red Arrows? Well, I applied uh, for the team back in 2010. Uh, went through the shortlist selection um, and ended up joining up at the end of uh, 2011. So my first display season was in 2012. So we had some big events that year with the... Uh, opening ceremony for the Olympics and a Queen's Diamond Jubilee. And yeah, now I'm in my last season, which happens to be yeah, the 50th, which has worked out really well. That's it. It's a big year for the Red Arrows this year. So it's your last season this year. So what's the future hold uh, for you, Mike? It is. It's, so it's my, the end of my third year, and hopefully I'm back to a typhoon after this, back to 29 Squadron to instruct, will be the, the grand plan in October. Excellent. So, uh, Mike, just, just sum it up then for, for our listeners, and what is it like to be uh, in the Red Arrows as a pilot? It's uh, an absolute privilege. I mean, if it's an innuendo, it's kind of like the boyhood dream. Um, I'd always wanted to fly fast jets, but uh, I didn't really ever think that I'd be in a position to join the Red Arrows. And it was um, only kind of later on in my RF career, really, as I started knowing more and more people joining. But I thought, actually, you know, it's something I wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind doing. And thankfully, it's all worked out. Um, and, yeah, it's been three absolutely amazing flying years. Awesome. So uh, are you at uh, Farnborough next weekend? Yes, we are. We are opening Farnborough on Monday, um, Monday morning. Go back home for a couple of days to let the engineers uh, loose on the jets, and then we'll be back down again on Thursday, uh, and we're just playing Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Awesome, awesome. Uh, how's it been for you this year at Riyadh then? It's been uh, very, very good fun. It's been intense, I mean, but it's uh, with the whole theme of Riyadh being the Red Arrows 50th. It's, uh, it's been very busy, but luckily the weather's been great. Just hope it hope the cloud holds off so that we can do our full display. Excellent. We were here yesterday. We saw a display put on yesterday. That was absolutely awesome at Simon. We, yes, we that th- was, uh, very good. And um, what other uh, things will you be doing uh, this next few days? Uh, do, do you have any uh, special formations uh, planned? Well, we we did. I mean, we did the mixed formation yes, yesterday. yesterday. Um, we were hoping to do a fly pass with the F-35, but because yes. of its technical difficulties, it's not made it over. But what we'll do is we'll do our display. Um, and uh, what, what we're going to hopefully do is be able to go full today, which yes. we couldn't do early yesterday. Uh, we had to do rolling. We started rolling and went full at the end of the first half. But hopefully today, all being well and we have a good gap, we'll be able to go full. Do you have any more uh, special occasions uh, planned this year, um, fly past or anything? Um, we've got quite a few different events. Um, so, yeah, clearly with Farnborough. There's, um, there's nothing really dedicated beyond what we've already done. Uh, it's just lots of stuff in the UK because yes. we're trying to celebrate as much yes. as we can when we're, when we're still here. And what does the future hold for the Hawk? Because um, I know it's getting to the end of its life in a few years' time, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. So we're hoping, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be good till 2018. And clearly it can, we're looking at trying to keep it going beyond that. But the main thing now is trying to find a replacement because it, as with anything nowadays, it will take a while to get a replacement uh, figured out and costing. So the earlier we start looking at it, the better. Yes. 
believe you had two bird strikes this week, haven't you? We have. We had one at Waddington and then one at the Farmer Validation, and um, both jets are, are reasonably damaged, so they'll be out for a couple of months each. Yes, uh, so they will be uh, back to flying condition again uh, shortly. They will, hopefully, for, by the end of the season and stuff yes. like towards, but well before the end of the season. Uh, that both of them require quite a bit of work yes, on. Uh, I saw one of the photos. It's quite. Um, it's, it's amazing what um, m the amount of damage that's been caused by uh, that. It is, in a way, to look at it. It's like you, you're going at 400 miles an hour and you're hitting something that's yes. not moving as, as fast at all, and so it gives it a good old whack. And um, unfortunately, it's when it starts damaging the airframe itself, denting it. That's where it takes a lot of work. You yes. have to yes. be for the engineers. It's a bit of a nightmare. Test for two and one week. That's, um, it's yeah. I'm, I'll touch wood, Wally, but it, um, it's... Talk, you, you want to talk and up here. Yeah, the thing is, it's uh, we've been kind of riding our luck, because clearly when you're flying relatively low, you're in yes. the territory of the birds, and um, yeah, we've been very lucky up until recently. Excellent. All right, I'm going to uh, let you get away, because we know you're really busy, but uh, we'd, we'd like to say thanks uh, really, you know, you know, massively for uh, taking time out to come and join us on the uh, Plane Talking UK podcast. Uh, so thanks a lot for your time, uh, Mike, and uh, we'll let you get back uh, to your display and show. Thanks so much. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Simon, that was awesome, wasn't it? We uh, really enjoyed that um, immensely. Simon, I know, was uh, yes. he was uh, like uh, a, a child. <laughs> really <laughs> yes, enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I can't thank him enough. I just, um, I just made my year, and uh, to interview them on their 50th anniversary... Um, display season uh, it's just it's just totally uh, out of this world and um, I'm most grateful uh, to all of the uh, guys uh, involved there um, the circus guys as well and um, for letting us uh, have a little insight as um, to your busy uh, busy life with the Reds so our next interview we've got uh, lined up then Simon which we've done at Riyadh yeah um, we've got a did we uh, do the Typhoon interview, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we've done uh, an interview with... Uh, Andy and Jamie. Andy and Jamie from the Typhoon display team. Uh, we uh, got uh, took a uh, bit uh, bit of their time out to uh, just talk to those guys about uh, what they do within the uh, display team. So we're going to play that one now. OK, then, so you join us at the Royal International Air Tattoo, RAF Fairford in Gloucestershire, and uh, we're standing on the flight line next to a Royal Air Force Typhoon. And I'm standing next to Andy and Jamie. And uh, uh, so, Andy, what's, uh, what's your position in the uh, team? I'm the uh, team display manager for this uh, 2014 season. Uh, excellent. And Jamie? I'm one of the avionics technicians, so I fix all electronics on the aircraft. Okay, so you're not too busy then. The aircraft's always uh, serviceable. It, it does break, but uh, we're very competent, so we fix it in uh, good timing. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so, uh, so what's your role in Thailand in the uh, group, Andy? Uh, the idea behind the manager is uh, it just allows the pilot to concentrate on the flying side of things. Uh, I organise all the sort of liaisons with the uh, the air shows, uh, with sponsorship, etc. Um, so it just allows Noel to concentrate purely on doing his job of putting on a good display. Excellent. Okay. So the display is that uh, coming up today or tomorrow? The display. Uh, Noel will be displaying uh, all three days of Riyadh. So today he's doing a display from takeoff. Uh, I think about fourteen twenty nine. He's he's due up. And then the next two days, the crowd's going to be in for a treat because uh, he's going to be doing the fly pass with the Spitfire first um, in this year's, one of, well, one of this year's uh, specially painted jet uh, jets, which is in D-Day stripes, in the invasion stripes. Um, so he'll do a fly pass with the Spitfire before breaking off and then doing his uh, full display. 
Excellent. So uh, a bit of background about yourself, Andy. How did it all start for you in the, uh, in the Royal Air Force? Uh, well, I, my, well, I joined as a pilot uh, four years ago. Uh, before that, I was part of uh, what's called the University Air Squadron scheme, uh, well, at university where they sort of teach you to fly. Uh, did four years at university, um, joined the Air Force after, um, and then I've been uh, in the training system ever since. Oh, great. So you, do you get a chance to fly the Typhoon itself? Yeah, uh, well, in another couple of years, I'll, I'll be there. I'm in the fast jet training scheme, so my next aircraft is going to be the Takano, based at Flinton on Ooze. Oh, excellent, excellent. So uh, you thoroughly enjoy uh, thoroughly enjoy your job totally then? Yeah, this is, it, this is, it is a little bit of a treat this year because um, I'm between courses. So um, while I'm waiting, I'm, I'm sort of filling in up this job. And uh, it is a, it's not a bad job to, to, to have while you're waiting. Excellent. So are you doing any more air shows at all this year? Yeah, well, we're about, we're about halfway through. Um, July is probably our busiest month, so um, we've got Riyadh this weekend. We're at the Farm Trade and Public Shows over the next week, week and a bit. Um, which I'm looking at, I was going to say, look at your, your, your expression there. Um, uh, and then after that, we've got Sunderland, a couple of weeks off, and then we'll be into a lot of the South Coast shows. So we, we're going to be at Bristol, uh, Eastbourne, Bournemouth, all the, all, the, all the displays that we are doing this year on our website. Uh, which, if you wouldn't mind me plugging that, if, if, if anyone's after any more information, it's uh, w, well, if you just Google RAF Typhoon Display Team, and uh, it'll be the it'll be the top uh, the top hit top link. Excellent. So, Jamie, your job. What uh, what's uh, your job entail? So, I do uh, avionics. I'm responsible for all the electronics on the aircraft, from display systems to comm systems, radar, weapon acquisition, uh, basically anything that involves electronics on the aircraft. Excellent. And uh, how did it all start for you? Uh, well, my family have got a history of being in the Air Force. My granddad, my dad were in the Air Force, so I've always learned the Air Force way of life. Uh, at 17, I, I joined up, went through Holton, did my trade training through Cosford for about 18 months, then went to RAF Marham on Tornado Geofors. Uh, from there, I went on to Nimrod for a couple of years, and then since then, I've been on Typhoon for seven years. Oh, excellent. So you really enjoy your job as well, then? I love my job. I get to see some great parts of the world um, and meet some fantastic people. Excellent. So what's the future then uh, for you? Then what, what, uh, What's your plans? Uh, well, I've volunteered for the F-35 when that comes into service, so just wait for that to, to come in and then hopefully get to a new challenge on a new aircraft. As I say, a lot of our listeners are uh, quite gutted, really, that the, uh, that's been, it's been cancelled for the show for this, uh, this year. I'm not sure yet. I've not heard anything. Uh, we, we, think we covered it on last night's episode, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, they, they had put a press release out to say that the F-35 was uh, not going to fly at Rio, which is a unfortunate but uh so uh, the actual course for your the electronic sort of thing it was that quite a, you know, quite an intense course i'd imagine for for the avionics on an aircraft like this yeah i mean uh, when we went through cosford it's uh when i went through it was an 18 month course of learning base electronics um from transistors to more system based stuff uh, when we go into a new aircraft for typhoon specific i spent another four months learning the avionics in the typhoon but every aircraft we go on to, we must do a, an aircraft-based course on that specific aircraft. Excellent. That's. Uh, I think I missed my boat there, Simon. I, I didn't. I didn't study hard enough at college. I think I should have done something better. So uh, for you, as uh, Andy, as, as as the sort of the training progresses for you, what's the future for you? Uh, well, as I mentioned, I will be uh, up at RF Linton on Ooze uh, on the Takana. That's my next course. It's about a 125-hour course. Um, after that, RF Valley for the Hawk. Um, or four, four squadron at RAF Valley uh, for the Hawk T2 which is actually displaying here today I believe uh, and there is a static one as well um, and then after that I'll be on to probably back at 29 squadron which is the operational conversion unit for the Typhoon Force 
uh, learn how to fly the jet. Very much like Jamie said there, you know, you have to do a specific uh, course on tactics and actually operating that jet and then onto one of the frontline squadrons. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time today, guys, uh, coming on the show. And uh, we'll give you drop your card, info card, and you can, uh, at your leisure, if you want to download the show and listen to yourselves back in uh, glorious stereo. Thank you very much. So thanks a lot, uh, Jamie, for your time. You're welcome. Take care. And for you, Andy, as well. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. So thanks for that, guys. That was uh, good to talk to those uh, those guys that day and uh, find out more about what they done. Very good of them to uh, take time out of their busy day because there was scores of people uh, wanting to uh, to talk to them uh, while they stood there. So thanks for that one again. So next one up on the list, Simon. Uh, we've got the BA one four six weather patrol aircraft. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was a bit of an interesting one because. Uh, that was a BAE 146, uh, which was uh, geared up for uh, meteorological or me- meteorological um, investigation sort of uh, yes, weather work. Uh, yeah, do uh, surveillance around the uh, coast of the UK um, with lots of uh, sensors and stuff uh, and on the aircraft. Captain McCormick, wasn't it? Yes, um, yes that was. I didn't have his uh, name on here, but you've remembered it. Yep, Captain McCormick, yeah. So we're going to play that one now. Okay, so you join us for another Q&A then at the Royal International Air Tattoo at RAF Fairford. And uh, I'm standing next to Captain McCormick. And uh, you are a captain on the BAE 146, but it's not just any BAE 146, is it? No, it's a specially modified BAE 146, a 301 series. Uh, It started out life originally as the test platform of the 146 project as a 100 series aircraft. Subsequently got modified to a 300 series as part of the program. And the, the addition that you see in front of you today is, uh, is the original 300, uh, but it's been upgraded with a RJ engine. So it's a mixture between a 146 and an Avro RJ. So what are the engines on this particular aircraft and what uh, particular make are those? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've stumped you there, haven't I? <laughs> don't, don't panic. You're not the first one. You're not the first one. Um, so moving on then, all the extra probes and stuff you've got on this aircraft. And so this does a spe- serves a special purpose, this aircraft. Yes, uh, this is the UK's atmospheric research aircraft. And it's used primarily by the UK universities and the Met Office. We also work in conjunction with uh, overseas agencies uh, such as NASA uh, and other overseas universities. We'll fly anywhere around the globe that is uh, needed, uh, surveying the air or the weather system uh, for that university or MET service that we're working with. Excellent. So the actual devices on board, these all these uh, sensors and stuff, they, they're purely for sort of weather research and stuff? Yes. Uh, they're used primarily for weather research uh, and the information that's taken from that will be uh, downloaded into some of the supercomputers within the MET office to update the, uh, the weather forecast that you see on TV. Uh, or we will be using the equipment on board to calibrate equipment that is currently sat in space on satellites. Uh, we'll, we will fly underneath the satellite uh, as it goes overhead, and we will calibrate the instruments on the satellite by uh, what they see on board our aircraft. Wow, that sounds pretty awesome. Um, I don't think not many people know this particular aircraft exists. I've, I've seen it uh, a few times online and bits and pieces, but... A lot of people don't realise, you know, this particular aircraft does does do the work that it does. So, your, your job yourself, then you just you're the one who flies into the storms. Yes. We say, <laughs> yes, uh, 
we, we fly into the storms. We're not we're not as bad as uh, the American C-130 <laughs> that does it. We don't go into hurricanes and the likes. Uh, the aircraft is stressed to, to normal uh, airline standards, so we won't take it into anything too dangerous. Uh, but it's uh, it's a fun job. Excellent. So where's this particular aircraft based? This aircraft's based out of Cranfield University, uh, and it's operated by ourselves, a direct flight. Uh, we're again based out of uh, Cranfield. Uh, the company is also involved in uh, surveillance missions, and uh, we also do some stuff with range clearance and uh, fisheries work as well. Excellent. The aircraft itself, and uh, what what's uh, what she like to fly? How, how did she handle? Uh, it handles just like a normal 146, really. Uh, very nice to fly. Uh, it's probably one of the last aircraft in service at the minute that you can fly manually. Uh, <laughs> We've got uh, a very basic autopilot system on it, but it's good enough to do the job as a twin pilot operation. Excellent. So there's two of you on the flight deck. There's no engineer or anything? No. no. It's uh, two pilots, and we carry uh, one cabin crew with us, along with uh, up to 19 scientists. Excellent. So one cabin crew, is that for the tea and biscuits? Yes. <laughs> don't tell them I said that. <laughs> no, they won't listen to this, I don't know. Uh, okay, uh, so a bit about yourself then. How, how did it all start for you? Is it from an early age, passion of flying? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I wanted to be a pilot from a very, very early age. Uh, I went down the military route to start with. So at school I was awarded a flying scholarship. At university I was awarded a, a bursary by the Air Force and I then joined the Air Force after, after university. I was in the Air Force for about 12 years before leaving to come and do this. Wow, so that's, that's a pretty awesome career. Because I have to say, you don't look awfully... You look a lot younger than me, and I'm 38. You, you look probably... You don't look much more than 25. 36. <laughs> no, really? Okay, okay. Um, okay, so what's the future hold for yourself? And what do you... Are you going to carry on flying this aircraft? Or do you want to move on to, to other things? Uh, at the minute, I'm, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, I'm getting to go to some parts of the world that most uh, normal airline pilots don't go to and uh, doing stuff that most normal airline pilots don't do. So uh, I'm quite happy to stay where I am at the minute. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. So, uh, so you're just here for the static display at uh, Riyadh for, for today and tomorrow? Yes. I know. Uh, part of Monday. Back, uh, back, to the, back to Cranfield. Excellent. Okay, well, thanks a lot for coming on the show and giving us a quick Q&A. It's been fantastic to talk to you. And, uh, well, hopefully you'll uh, download the show and listen to yourself in uh, Glorious Stereo. So thanks a lot for your, uh, for your Q&A today. No problem, thank you. Thank you. That was really interesting, that was, Simon, talking to him about, uh, about that, especially uh, seeing a 146 with loads of uh, extra probes and, uh, and bits and pieces sticking out from the fuselage, but uh, obviously a, a key part of uh, investigating uh, everything to do with our UK weather yes, and around Europe. Yes, and then the uh, um, next one you've got is a Textron Scorpion. Yes, we managed to uh, grab um, the test pilot of the Textron Scorpion. Uh, an aircraft we featured, uh, as I said, in episode 25. Um, it, uh, it's quite an awesome-looking aircraft. Yes, and we did manage to get a quick glimpse of him departing the UK, didn't we? Um, yeah. He didn't actually display at Farnborough. Uh, yeah. um, at Farnborough. Um, we saw him uh, uh, depart uh, the UK. Um, I don't know if he's gone back to the States, as I said, but um, um, he's such a nice guy. Um, they all are. Um, but it was uh, so nice when I mean, he had 120 hours flying Tom on this aircraft and he was very confident to bring it over to the UK and um, 
it's um, its tails looked a bit like the uh, F thirty five V tail. Yeah, it's a V tail. It's a very stunning looking aircraft. Yes, um, um, very quiet. Um, lovely aircraft. I love this, and uh, such a great interview, and uh, nice to get an insight on such a new aircraft with only 120 hours flying time. Low mileage. Yes, yeah, very worth, low. Worth more money. <laughs> so we're going to play that interview for you now. Okay, then, so you join us back then at uh, Royal International Air Tattoo, RAF Fairford in Gloucestershire. Me and Simon are standing uh, along the static display next to a Scorpion, uh, one of the aircraft we featured on episode 25 in the news segment. And uh, I'm standing here next to Don Parker, and uh, you are the... I am the uh, primary test pilot for the uh, Scorpion aircraft. Excellent. So the Scorpion aircraft itself, what is its uh, primary role? Its primary role is ISR and strike, uh, with capabilities of many other roles in the maritime and other defense natures. Excellent. And your position as the flight test pilot, you get to fly the aircraft and and test out what it can do? Absolutely. We... uh, uh, I will take the uh, airplane, as do a couple of other of our test pilots, and we will uh, uh, essentially make sure that it is capable of all of the things that engineering says it's capable of doing. And we will uh, go execute the certification as well as the qualitative evaluations of the flying qualities, performance, and all of the avionics in the airplane. Excellent. So is this the first time the Scorpion's been in the UK for, for REAC? Yeah, this is the first time it's uh, not only been in the U.K., but out of the United States. The airplane has uh, only about 120 hours on it, and we left the United States when it only had uh, just over 100 hours on this particular airframe. It's the original prototype, and uh, we felt comfortable bringing it across the Atlantic. Oh, wow. How long did that take? Did you have many stops on the way here? It was uh, roughly 15 hours of flight time, and uh, I'll have to count up the stops. It was uh, five or six stops. Oh, awesome. So the aircraft itself has got the uh, rather sort of um, peculiar T-tail, which a lot of people, or the V-tail, which a lot of people don't kind of associate with a a jet like this. Is there a reason behind that? Yes, actually the uh, aircraft is built essentially around a box. That box is really important to the mission because there's roughly 83 cubic feet of empty space that is capable to put any number of, of uh, uh, payloads in there. So as such, it takes and moves the engines apart a few feet, and uh, that requires that uh, you have some tails that are canted slightly outboard to enable good directional control at high angles of attack. Wow, because the aircraft itself, and we saw the pictures online yesterday uh, when we were recording our show, and uh, we both said it says it's a stunning aircraft to look at. Um, how, is, how is it to fly itself, the aircraft? Well, it's a dream. You know, the uh, aircraft is, is designed, uh, you know, it's Textron Airline joint venture, but most of the parts, pieces, and bits are from Susta Products and Susta Design Team. Henceforth, it's got all of the lineage of Susta equipment and it flies wonderfully just like one of their business jets or other products they've uh, got a very mature design team on on flight controls aerodynamics and of course just about anything it takes to put an airplane airborne so it's uh, the first flight out it was a brilliant flying airplane and we continue to modify it and make it even better excellent i have to say i'm learning to fly in a cessna 150 and uh the aircraft just seems so solidly built, even though it's quite an old aircraft at the flying school I am. But like you say, the Cessna product is such a well-proven and, and strong uh, aircraft or airframe, even the, the, the 150 or the 172. But 
Um, so what the future for this aircraft itself, and are you hoping to, uh, to, to have sales in the UK for this? Uh, UK would be one of the potential customers. Uh, I think the company is looking for uh, customers throughout the world because we believe that uh, our security requirements can be met at a much lower cost for, than, uh, than what we're presently spending. And this is the answer to that. Excellent, excellent. So are you doing any more air shows this year? Are you going to, obviously you've got Farnborough next week. Is there any other air shows you're, you're attending at all this year in the UK? Yes, we'll be at Farnborough next week. And then uh, after that, we'll uh, head on back home and we'll have some exercises. We'll have one exercise uh, called Vigilant Guard, where we'll actually go demonstrate some of the mission systems that are presently in the airplane. And then uh, there's plenty of, plenty of more work to do on uh, what is still a, uh, uh, a developing aircraft. So is the aircraft, and I take it it's all a glass screen cockpit, is it a fly-by-wire cockpit? or It is not a fly-by-wire airplane. Um, the only wires that are in there are uh, cables, bullies, and bell cranks. So if you want to call that fly-by-wire, you certainly can. But the fact is, is uh, again, uh, with Sester's design, you've got a very mature uh, design system uh, with their cables, pulleys, bell cranks, and, of course, hydraulically boosted in the uh, longitudinal and lateral axis. Excellent. So if I could, if I don't mind, don't mind me asking, Don, a bit about your past. Where did it all start for you, your sort of love of uh, aviation? Well, my love for aviation started when I was, believe it or not, three years old, and my dad took me for a ride in a Cessna 172. I could barely see over the side, and uh, uh, I looked out and said, you know, I, I think I want to do this for a living, and it never changed. So I have uh, been fortunate to be able to remain in the business, uh, get some tremendous military training and education, and then turn that into something that's valuable in the commercial sector. Oh, awesome. So you've got, uh, you've got uh, obviously, your uh, pilot's license, uh, which you have. There we go. Just pause for a moment there and let the aircraft take off. <laughs> so uh, you're obviously certified to fly this aircraft. Then uh, the license you've got, do you do any other sort of, uh, uh, sort of fun flying for sort of just sort of, you know, uh, general flying around yourself? Absolutely. I... Uh um, I fly uh, light aircraft just like the Cessna 150 you told me about. Uh, I, in fact, I initially got my pilot's license flying a Cessna 150 uh, about 100 years ago. And so uh, now I have uh, the chance to uh, jump into airplanes like this, and it's uh, very gratifying. So I also uh, do a little bit of flying in uh, some of our other uh, light Cessna singles that uh, are through our flying club. So... Uh, uh, I enjoy that on uh, my private time. Excellent. Well, Don Parker, thanks a lot for coming on the Plane Talking UK podcast. It's been an absolute awesome treat to uh, be able to speak to uh, someone flying this aircraft, the Scorpion. And uh, like I said, yeah, have you got a website at all that, that our listeners can go to to find out more information on the Scorpion? I, I don't. I would love to have it. This is the first time I've had the opportunity to talk to you folks. And uh, I will look forward to uh, seeing that website and uh, seeing what else is on there. Okay, then. So, like I said, thanks again to Don Parker for coming on the show. And uh, we appreciate your time today, Don. Thank you very much for the interview. Proud to uh, be here and help. Thank you. Another great interview then. Yes. There's a texture uh, on there. And uh, thanks, Don Parker, for that. That's really, uh, really good to talk to you. Yes, yep. So our next uh, interview on the list then, Simon? As the P-38. 
three Orion. Ah, P three Orion. Yes, uh, I managed to collar uh, one of the pilots there while Simon was uh, grabbing an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think you were talking to David at the time. Yes, uh, you were talking to David, and I managed to um, grab one of the guys. Yes, um, to chat about this. So we're going to play that one for you now. Okay, then, so you join us back uh, at the Royal International Air Tattoo, then, where I'm standing uh, next to a P3 uh, Orion, if I'm correct in that. I'm standing next to Christoph Plazier. Hello. Hi. And, uh, Christoph, uh, I see you've got uh, the aircraft here today. Uh, what's, uh, what's the aircraft exactly, the designation? Uh, we came in from uh, Nordholz in Germany, Echo Tango Mike November. And, yeah, we came here, had a short hop, one uh, hour, 30 minutes, and had perfect weather and enjoying the show here. Excellent. So what's the primary role of this particular aircraft then? So basically this uh, plane was designed for uh, anti-submarine purposes, and we're still capable of that and uh, training a lot, this uh, ASW. Um, But nowadays we also use it for reconnaissance, and uh, we have deployments in Djibouti, Africa for anti-piracy missions. All right. So you, you work uh, on, a, on a daily basis doing those patrol sort of missions uh, back home? Uh, yeah, here and then. We, we don't do it every day, so we have um, several missions per week, but not every day. And it's very important to train this ASW all the time because it's very complex and uh, complicated. So it's important that we train it just to, to, to stay in there. Excellent, excellent. So a bit of history about this, this particular aircraft, sort of performance-wise, uh, what's, what's you like to fly? It's fun to fly, yeah. It's, it's a turboprop aircraft with uh, four propellers or four engines, and it's kind of complicated to learn because the, the system is uh, very complex, so you have to, to know a lot about the system, a lot of numbers and figures. But when you're done with training and you know all the numbers, it's just fun to fly because it has a really good uh, performance and it's one of the, the fastest turboprop planes. It's really fun. Excellent. Are you uh, performing in a display at all uh, at the air show this weekend? No, we're just uh, here on static display. So whenever you want to come by, have some questions, just come here and uh, talk to us. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so a bit of history about yourself and uh, have you, uh, from an early, early t- uh, sort of age, been interested in flying? Uh, yes, I did. I think like uh, most of uh, the little boys, they want to be a pilot. <laughs> uh, actually, first I wanted to become an astronaut, but uh, I gave that up one day. And then I joined the Navy uh, in 2003 and did the, the normal training, so officer training. And then I went to the university in Munich, where I studied space and aeronautic engineering. And when I was there, I decided to uh, apply for the pilot training and I got accepted, so I passed all the tests. And uh, yeah, then the, the, the training starts, which takes like four years. Wow, four years, that is a long while for training. It is. Uh, but you pass with flying colors. Yes, it is. <laughs> Excellent. So what's, uh, what's your future for, uh, hold for you then? And is, uh, are you gonna continue flying this aircraft um, and, and doing your missions? And yeah, that's, that's my plan. So right now I'm co-pilot. And next, uh, next goal or next aim for me is to become a plane commander. Um, you need 1,000 hours for that. So I, I try to, to fly a lot now to get these hours. And I have to do some training as well, a lot of simulators and uh, more, um, more, more theory about the plane. Excellent. Do you do any pleasure flying at all yourself, sort of fun back at home? Or? No, 
No. J just uh, here with the Navy. Here with the Navy. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Christoph, on the uh, Plane Talking UK podcast. Thanks uh, for uh, answering questions and that. And it's been great to speak to you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's great. Another great interview there. He uh, spoke awesome English, Simon. Yes. They, these guys do speak brilliant English. Yes. Uh, so thank you, Christoph. Pleasure for that uh, interview. That was uh, great to talk to you guys and see the aircraft there at Riyadh. So the next interview we have uh, on the list then, Simon? Um, it's a KC-135R. Ah, yes. We're going to play one for you now. Brilliant. Thanks. Okay, then. So you join me back for a, another Q&A uh, uh, session at the Royal International Air Tattoo at RAF Fairford in Gloucestershire. I'm standing next to a KC-135R. And I'm here with David Holian. Is that how you pronounce your name? Yes, Holian. Holian. Yeah, Holian. Excellent. So, David, what's your role with the aircraft? Uh, I'm a co-pilot on this uh, aircraft. Excellent. And uh, you flew straight across from the States to here for the uh, air show? No, actually, we're out of uh, Milton Hall. Ah, it's okay. about a 30-minute flight, really. Ah, you're, you're, you're local then, so yes. uh, not, far, not far to come. Yes, Excellent. And uh, some, of the, uh, some of the listeners have asked us uh, what, the, uh, the, what this airfield is like to fly into with an aircraft this size. Uh, one more time, please. Uh, all I heard was chest. <laughs> <laughs> we just uh, some of the listeners are wondering how what uh, this particular airfield here yeah, at RAF Fairford's like to fly in with an aircraft of this size. Because obviously we see a lot of the fighter jets flying in and out, yeah. the smaller jets. Yeah. Uh, obviously this is a lot larger aircraft. Yeah, no, this is an ideal uh, runway length as long as crosswinds aren't a factor. Because you see that so much in England, just one runway, and a lot of times it's not even lined up with the prevailing winds. But uh, as far as length goes, this is this is a great airport. Excellent. So we're just talking about the 135 just a second ago. This is based on the 707, the Boeing 707, but slightly uh, changed. What are the what are the more sort of uh, the bigger differences between this and the passenger variant? Uh, well, we don't really have passenger seats. Um, we have some seats on the side, but I, I believe there's about a one foot difference between the two. And uh, this plane has had a lot of upgrades. It was manufactured in 1958, and uh, since then we've had a lot of avionics upgrades, engine upgrades. Um, so it doesn't look quite like a 707 anymore, but it did stem from the same family. So the cockpit uh, up front then with you guys, is that all glass glass uh, displays, or you still got the steam gauges? You know, it's a mixture of both, really. But uh, again, they are upgrading avionics even as we speak uh, fleet-wide, and we'll see more and more glass, but uh, really just a mixture of both at this time. Excellent. So the flight crew on board, you've got yourself and uh, a captain of the, uh, on the aircraft, and a flight engineer, is there on no, no flight engineer. They used to fly with navigators, but with GPS, we no longer need that. So the basic crew is a, a pilot, a co-pilot, and a boom operator. Excellent, excellent. So what's the primary role of this particular aircraft then? Uh, you know, just refueling. refueling. Uh, we, we can do cargo, but uh, that's more secondary. Uh, we mostly, mostly stick to air refueling. Although some squadrons, especially stateside, like to do air medical, evac, and stuff like that. Excellent. I've just been up on, on uh, board there, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of room up there, really. With, without all the seats and stuff in, without all the seats inside the aircraft, there's a lot of room. Yeah, yeah. Se Seating-wise, uh, you know, we have side row seating, and uh, usually we won't take more than 35 people, though. It, it becomes uh, a matter of how much oxygen we have on board and, and uh, latrine capacity, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so 35 is usually our max passenger. Okay, okay. So you're based here in the UK. Uh, do you ever get, get, get ticket to go home much then? Uh, no, you know, it's uh, pretty expensive to fly. Do you miss home? <laughs> I, I do. I've yeah. been here 14 months, but I absolutely love it. Um, I do miss my family, but that's about all I miss of the States. 
to be honest. Uh, just just the family back home. Excellent. Uh, there's a couple of the uh, the other podcasts that uh, that we we sort of work in 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 you know with as such, and they're based in the U.S. And uh, they cover a lot of the air shows in the U.S. And you guys have some awesome air shows over in the States. You really do. And plus, you also have some brilliant museums as well, the Smithsonian. Have you been, have you been there? I have been there. Uh, it's quite a number of years ago. And it, uh, it it's very, you know, they've got many buildings. and um, So I've only seen really one of them. Um, it had some dinosaur skeletons and stuff like that. That's about all I remember. That's quite quite a few years ago. Oh, awesome, awesome. So uh, where did it all start for you then, your... Uh your sort of passion for able wanting to learn to fly and everything. I suppose it's like most pilots, uh, as a kid, you know, loved loved airplanes, wanted to fly them. Uh, I first started actually as a mechanic on on airplanes. Uh, I took some flying lessons, absolutely loved it. So I just I just kept going from there. Been flying about ten years now. Awesome. So you're certified to fly this aircraft. Uh, do you fly any other aircraft at all? Nope. This would be the only one. The other one. Yeah. Um, so you don't do any sort of uh, sort of fun flying at weekends on little Cessnas or anything like no, that. I'm afraid not. No, I, that, and that's where I got my start. You know, um, I did a lot of that. Um, but uh, once I joined the military, this is this is the only thing. Um, you, you can still do that, of course, but uh, as you probably know, it's very expensive. Oh, yeah, it's expensive in the UK. Yeah. It's expensive everywhere, but especially expensive here. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, generally the lessons here for an hour tend to run for, to be a commercial sort of uh, just a normal uh, pilot or PPL. Uh, normally run about uh, sort of between 100 and 120, 150 pounds per hour. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose that would sound about right. Um, you know, stateside, it depends on where you go and what you train in. But uh, yeah, I, I, for a number of years I was a flight instructor as well, so I kind of I kind of know how that goes. So I, I know how much money it, it costs to pursue your passion. Awesome, awesome. So what's the future hold for you then uh, within the, uh, the force itself? Uh, well, for now, I've got another uh, three years or so in, in England flying this same plane, and after that, you know, who knows? Could be anything. Um, absolutely love the plane, though. Love it. Uh, I bet you do. I bet you do. I bet it's an absolute pleasure to fly. Um, we've obviously been looking around a lot of the other aircraft here and stuff. But uh, these, these for me stand out because uh, my side, my passion is more the commercial side of aircraft. So I obviously see these as being a, you know, the sort of a passenger, as, as close as I can get to passenger aircraft. But uh, they look awesome in the grey. I must admit, they, they look really, really smart. Yeah, I don't know what it is about grey. I, I don't know if they get a discount on the paint colour or, <laughs> or what the deal is. But uh, US Air Force loves grey. <laughs> Excellent. Well, David Helene, thanks for joining us on the Plane Talking UK podcast. It's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you. And thanks for giving us your time on the show today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. What an awesome aircraft that was standing near that, Simon. Yes. And, uh, uh, I got behind the barrier as well for that, which yes, is quite good. Yes, uh, Right underneath the uh, fuselage, underneath the uh, cockpit of that one. Yes, yeah, it was uh, really good. Uh, so next interview then uh, is... I think it's uh, is it the P-8A Poseidon. Poseidon. That's it, yeah, we got uh, the guys from the P-8A Poseidon, so we're going to play that one for you now. Okay, then, we're here for our second day then at the Royal International Air Tattoo, RAF Fairford. And uh, I'm here with Simon, and we're standing uh, on the uh, flight line uh, next to uh, P-8A Poseidon. And I'm here with Tris Bruchel. And uh, Tr- uh, Tris, what's your uh, position in the, uh, in the team? Um, I'm an EWO, that's uh, Electronic Warfare Operator. Oh, excellent. And uh, you, you operate the uh, internal sort of internal scanning equipment? Yeah, I operate the, uh, the radar, the camera, and the electronic warfare sensors. 
Oh, brilliant. So the P8A Poseidon is based um, on the Boeing 737. Is it the 700 series this is based on? It's based on the 737-800. Oh, the 800 series. Okay. Um, and the, I've noticed there's no winglets on this aircraft like the uh, passenger versions has. Is there a reason? Um, it does. Um, if you look um, on the side, they actually um, curl back a bit rather than curling up, so it does have yeah. some. Ah, right. Excellent. So uh, you guys, uh, where, whereabouts are you based yourself? We're based at uh, Naval Air Station Patuxent River at Southern Maryland. Ah, oh, brilliant, brilliant. So you flew over with the aircraft for the show for this weekend? We did, yeah. We uh, went to Waddington initially uh, in one hop, and then we flew down to uh, Fairford. Ah, oh, brilliant. And uh, the aircraft itself, is it, uh, obviously, the internals are, are totally different to a passenger aircraft, but uh, as a passenger on board this aircraft, is it very similar to be inside as to a passenger version? You know, it is. Um, it's smooth, and compared to other aircraft, it's uh, very quiet as well. You can actually hold a conversation just like this one. Excellent. So you've obviously got galley on board and all the usual <laughs> the old sort of amenities for what uh, normal passengers would have. We do. Um, we have um, a galley so we can cook uh, food in flights and um, the usual uh, toilets, table to sit at as well. Excellent. And uh, you're here for, for the whole, uh, you're here for tomorrow as well, for Sunday? Yeah, we're here and then we go on to Farnborough as well. Oh, you're at Farnborough next weekend. Oh, well, we'll be there as well. <laughs> so we'll, we'll give you a wave there. Um, so uh, how did it all start for you then, your sort of uh, career, your passion for aviation and such? Um, well, back in 1991, I joined the Air Force, um, trained at Finnley, and then I did um, my training course, which took me to RAF Kinloss on Maritime Nimra Mark IIs for 10 years, and then I did MRA 4, the replacement program, for six years. Then I taught for a little bit, and then I found myself out in Southern Maryland with the Americans. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. So you're used to the weather we're having today, then? Yeah. yeah <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so the aircraft itself, then... Um, uh, how, how old do you know how old this particular aircraft is? It? Um, it's uh, nearly brand new, so it's uh, new to the squadron. So it's probably only a couple of years old. Not done too many miles. Um, so it literally is. They they um, make them out in Washington State, and then they uh, weaponize them, and then they send them to us, and then we test them. Okay. And the, the role, the primary role of this aircraft uh, for our listeners who are not sure on the P8 Poseidon. Um, yeah, it's the replacement for the um, the P3, and it's uh, the P8 Poseidon. Primarily, he's doing maritime patrol, but um, like all modern aircraft, um, it's multi-mission, so it can do a few things besides that, like search and rescue, that kind of thing. Okay. All on, on the aircraft itself, you can sort of see the various pods and uh, various attachments and stuff. I, I take it there for all the reconnaissance, all these surveillance sort of uh, equipment? Yep, uh, lots of things around it. So you've got aerials uh, to communicate, then you've got the pods um, for the sensors on board, um, and then even tucked away, you've got uh, things like the radar and the camera. Excellent. So is it very different inside then? Obviously, uh, most people imagine this as, like we said, as being a passenger aircraft. So obviously inside it's completely different with all uh, com- a completely different layout inside. Um, it's not completely different. It still retains some passenger seats. But then on the other side, it's got um, some consoles which are interchangeable, and that's where we operate the mission systems. And then at the very front, it's just a modern glass cockpit, just like the 737. Oh, Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Tris, Michelle, on the uh, Plane Talking UK podcast. Uh, it's been great to talk to, uh, talk to you today, and um, we hope you enjoy uh, the rest of the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Excellent to talk to him, because yes. uh, we know that that's all quite secretive on that aircraft. Yes, um, yeah. but, um, and we have seen that flying um, as well um, at Farnborough. We did. And um, it's a lovely aircraft. It's um, this one uh, is a 737, I think it's a uh, 800, 800 series, 800 series yeah. but it's not a converted uh, passenger aircraft. It's a new aircraft um, that's built specifically, uh, specifically uh, yeah. for uh, the tasks it does. And there was a lot of classified um, 
information on that aircraft and secret. Um, um, yeah, there was there wasn't no uh, cockpit tours on that uh, that particular aircraft. No, the show, and no. Uh, the police has always um, show their presence, but they were around that aircraft, uh, Riyadh, um, guarding it and showing their presence um, against uh, the sort of uh, security measure uh, for the security measures around the air show, which is always a good sign. And um, yeah, so that was a lovely aircraft and. Uh, it was it was just an enjoyable uh, time at uh, Riyadh, wasn't it? Yeah, that was uh, that was the last of the interviews we've done at the show. Have yes. to, we will have to quickly apologise as well um, uh, for the audio on uh, those uh, interviews um, because for some bizarre reason our uh, state of the art technically uh, Marvel recording equipment only managed to record in on one channel uh, on the right side. So. Uh, for those of you listening, don't uh, think it's your uh, devices which are, uh, are, are wrong. It's uh, purely the uh, this wonderful piece of te- technical equipment we have here which um, let us down slightly uh, on the day. But uh, we d- at least we did get the audio and yeah, you could hear those interviews. But no, as Simon said, we thoroughly enjoyed our two days at Riyadh. Uh, thanks as well to uh, the media team at Riyadh for allowing us uh, media uh, media passes for the Friday, uh, which was handy. Yes. And uh, we uh, used the media centre for refreshments, didn't uh, we, Simon? Yes, we did. For a brew. Uh, and um, to get um, get ourselves together for some more interviews. And um, also um, on the Friday we had our um, sort of fairly exclusive um, access to the Red Arrows uh, pit area. Um, which um, I enjoyed uh, immensely, and um, thanks for that as well. And um, it was such a good day on the Friday and the uh, we Saturday. We had brilliant weather. We did, we mm. did, we did. We didn't get any rain, which was good. Um, on the Friday, um, the good thing about the Friday, this was an extra day they were doing because it's the Reds' 50th birthday, the fact that we had a lot of the aircraft arriving to the air show uh, ready for the Saturday and the Sunday Um and one I won't forget was the uh, typhoon when he actually um, arrived and parked up in his um, parking slot. Uh, the noise was just absolutely <laughs> awesome. Absolutely awesome. Trying to take pictures of the aircraft whilst putting your fingers in your ears yes, is not easy. No, we should have used the earplugs we got from the Breitling enclosure, but um, we didn't because uh, we just enjoyed having the noise buzzing through our ear eardrums and uh, shaking our whole bodies. Um, and that was... Um, Enjoyable to watch. Um, that was on the Friday. There were just so so uh, many great things uh, there. We had that um, special fly pass, didn't we? Um, uh, which was uh, done. Now that was. Uh, um, now did, was it on the Saturday or the Friday? We had the uh, fly pass. We had the Reds, didn't we? And then we had one of each other display the display teams. Saturday, yeah, the Saturday the, we had the fly pass with the Reds and the other display teams. Yes, uh, which were the Breitling. Um, team with their P-39 Albatrosses. Um, They use uh, seven aircraft. Um, They're from France. Uh, They've been going a long while and um, always um, pleased to see those guys. Um, Also, we had the Patrouille uh, de Suisse um, um, aircraft, didn't we? Uh, Who flew with the Reds? Um, Patrouille de France... Um, and, and the, the Freeze Tricolori, yeah, Freeze Tricolori, all uh, flew in formation. And so, the Breitling, yeah, you said the Breitling. Yeah, one, I've uh, done the Breitling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was um, very uh, nice to see. And the Patrol de Swiss, this is their fiftieth uh, season as well. Mm. So uh, that's uh, quite um, 
sort of um, nice that they share it with the Reds. Um, and they had some nice books. There were so many uh, things that went on. We had the uh, Airbus A400, um, the Chinook. And now the flying was started as we were in the queue, didn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, on the Friday um, and on the Saturday because um, it started early and the typhoon um, from uh, the Italian Air Force sort of opened the uh, Saturday's flying. And um, we had the Chinook. Um, there's so many uh, great Air Force, two Sukhois. Free Strickalori uh, display team, um, the Air E400M, uh, the AMX International A11 uh, Reparto, um, the Royal Jordanian Falcons, a Boeing FA18 Super Hornet, the uh, US Navy, a Hunter Flypass with a Patroller de Suisse, um, the Hunter F58, Patroller de Suisse, Northrop F5 uh, Tigers, two, the Saab Gripen. Shorts to Carno, um, who with uh, the guy we've interviewed um, previous podcast, Super Spitfire Marine PRXIX from uh, East Midlands Airport, um, the Turbo Olix, um, which is a Polish Air Force display team, the Merlin, Augustine Wester from uh, Coldrose, the Westland Apache uh, from Watsham, the Lockheed Martin should have been there, um, but didn't, um, which was a shame due to technical issues, and it wasn't at Farnborough neither. Um, the Reds, as I um, explained earlier, the Tornado, the F-16 um, from the Belgian Air Force, it always does a great display. And we had four Breitling Wingwalkers, and they're from Rencom in uh, the Cotswolds. And uh, Douglas Dakota, Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, uh, the Super Puma, um, from the Swiss Air Force, the F-16 um, from the Royal Netherlands Air Force, um, the Patrouille de France uh, with their Alpha Jet EESs. Um, they're always great. I love that display they do. Um, a little bit different to the Reds, but all all good. Uh, the Avro Lancaster Hurricane Spitfire. But I don't think the Hurricane uh, made it that day, or was it the Spitfire? One of the two didn't make it. And the Spitfire fly past. With the typhoon, yeah, the hurricane didn't make it that day, I remember now, and then the typhoon at the end uh, uh, from RAF Coningsby. So it was a really interesting day. Um, lots of uh, great things happened there, and there was lots of uh, static aircraft, a few missing from the US, um, which we were hoping to see, um, which is uh, such a shame. But it was a fantastic uh, weekend we had there, and uh, it's just nice to share it uh, with my uh, co-host uh, here and uh, have such good weather and such an enjoyable time on the Red Arrows, the 50th display season, um, uh, 2014. Yeah, we did catch the sun slightly, didn't we? Yes, we did. Uh, we got a little bit burnt, but um, <laughs> other than that, we were okay. Um, and uh, we were up, uh, met, met with uh, David Harris, and uh, which was good. Yeah. And um, we were, towards the end, we were watching the uh, flights. We watched an Atlas Air. 747 over, over. Yeah, and he was over. heading into uh, Bryce Norton as that's, David the, that's the one good thing at Simon with these air shows that we've been to they always tend to be in, in good uh, air corridors so not only do you have the flying display of the aircraft in front of you uh, displaying you've got uh, commercial aircraft flying over overhead yes you have and so, you also have home phones ringing in the background <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully my wife will answer the home phone uh, yeah. which is ringing yeah, so um, it's been an eventful day and uh, weekend or, or weeks, and uh, hopefully um, there's many more air shows to come. We will give you a, an insight next week on to the Farnborough 
uh, air show. Yep, next and week we are definitely going to bring you uh, an episode filled with all the Farnborough stuff that we got uh, from the air show there. Yes. Yep. So that should be good. So I think we've just about covered uh, everything. A special uh, thanks to uh, one of our other correspondents, Charlotte Hall. Um, she will be uh, one of our regular correspondents now, uh, keeping us up to date um, with uh, all the uh, flying information um, that she receives and gets updates from uh, to keep us uh, give us a good heads up. So, uh, yes, uh, we've got her and uh, David Harris. So they're our two correspondents now. And um, I can class David as... Um, uh, our best encyclopedia to uh, aircraft around the world and everything, wouldn't you? Definitely. I'm just reading, actually, Simon, I'm just reading here um, something else, not quite aviation-related, but um, it is regarding our forces. Um just reading here online that uh, HMS Illustrious um, returns to Portsmouth for the final time. Yes. Uh, we're we're uh, at the Royal Navy are uh, retiring HMS Illustrious, uh, our aircraft carrier. And she's returning today to uh, to Portsmouth for the last time. Yes. Sad one, Simon. Yes, yes. We've got um, new aircraft carriers being uh, built as we speak. And um, the uh, UK used to have the uh, Harrier, um, which uh, used to fly on a lot of the... Um, ships uk ships that we have um but uh if you stay tuned and uh, listen out for our next episode we have some uh great footage and uh, great things to talk about uh, seeing a spanish harrier flying oh, yeah, definitely yeah. now i haven't seen a since the uk um had scrapped all the uh gr9s uh, we didn't have any uh harriers flying or haven't seen any flying for a long while and it was so nice um to get back into that blast from the past as having a Harrier flying in front of you in UK in the UK air show circuit um, it was a very rare occasion and uh, as I said we will give you more information on our, our next podcast and uh, we'll talk about that quite a lot so stay tuned stay tuned exactly and uh, we've got lots more information and interviews um, from Farnborough and um, which was another great air show and as I said uh, we'll be giving you more information on that in our next podcast so we have got uh, one more segment to do. It's one that we've, I think we've been about <laughs> three weeks late getting this one on. Um, but it's our In Focus Aircraft uh, of the week. Uh, we are going to bring it to you in this episode. Finally, you'll be pleased to know. Um, for all those of you who voted for uh, the aircraft via Facebook, uh, for those of you who've, who like us on Facebook, and uh, the aircraft... Um, is going to come up uh, after this. And now, it's time for our In Focus Aircraft of the Week. Yes, our In Focus Aircraft of the Week, then, as chosen by our listeners via Facebook and email. So, uh, the winner uh, was uh, the Boeing 747-8, or the 747-800. Boeing's yes. <clears throat> latest uh, jumbo jet. Yeah, we're well, sorry for the delay on this. Um, we've been so busy. Um, we've been holding this back for a few weeks. Um, um, we're ever so sorry about that. But um, air shows uh, are coming fast at the moment. Um, and we are uh, trying to keep you up to date as much as possible. There's so much going on in the air show season. We knew it would get busy. And we're in the height of the busy season now. So it's just um, it's just one of them things. So... Uh, um, 
Now, this uh, aircraft, I have actually seen, um, and you've seen uh, as well, I've seen this flying at Duxford. He done. Uh, he took off from Stansted, and he was on his way to Frankfurt. Um, I think this was last uh, season I saw him, and um, it was uh, uh, great to see this. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it so much. And um, it was the British Airways 7478 I saw, and he'd done three or four fly pass, and... Um, God, I've got some lovely pictures of that. I'll have to put them up on um, on our page sometime. But it's a great aircraft. It is. I'm yet to go on it, but uh, I'm yet to go on a 747, actually. I've never so this, been on one. This was um, a cargo one from British Airways, the 747. Mm. Lufthansa have the passenger ones, yeah. Yes. So then, the 747-8 was designed to be the first lengthened 747 to go into production. The 747-8 and the 747-SP are the only 747 variants with a fuselage of modified length. The 747-8 was intended to use the same engine and cockpit technology as that of the 787, including the General Electric Genex turbofan and partly fly-by-wire. Boeing said that the new design would be quieter and more economical and more environmentally friendly than previous versions of the 747. As a derivative of the already common 747-400, the 747-8 has the economic benefit of similar training and interchangeable parts. Boeing firmed the 747-8 freighter's configuration in October 2006. The 747-8, as the current new development of Boeing's largest airliner, is notably in direct competition on long-haul routes with the Airbus A380 a full-length double-decker aircraft now in service. For airlines translating into a trip cost reduction of 21% and a seat mile cost reduction of over 6%. Production of the first 747-8 freighter began in Everett in early August 2008, and on November 14, 2008, Boeing announced a delay to the 747-8 programme, citing limited availability of engineering resources within Boeing, design changes and the recent strike by the workers. On July the 21st, 2009, Boeing released a photograph of the first cargo aeroplane in its fuselage and main wing assembled. In February 2009, only uh, only one airline customer, Lufthansa, had ordered the 747-8 Intercontinental passenger model and Boeing announced it was reassessing the 747-8 project. Chief Executive Jim McNerney stated that uh, the continuation of the project was not a foregone conclusion and that the company was assessing various options. In October 2009, Boeing announced that it delayed the first flight of the 747-8 until the first quarter of 2010 and delayed the 747-8 intercontinental delivery. The company took a $1 billion charge against its earnings for this uh, delay. And in response, launch customer Cargolux stated that it still intended to take delivery of th- the 13 freighters it had ordered. Lufthansa confirmed it, uh, its commitment to the passenger version on uh, December the 4th, 2000, uh, November the 12th, 2009. Uh, on December the 4th, 2009, Korean Air became the second airline customer for the uh, eight intercontinental version of the passenger model with an order for five airliners. And on January the 8th, 2010, 
Guggenheim Aviation Partners, or GAP, announced the reduction of its 8F freighter version order from four to two aircraft. In March 2011, Korean Air converted options into a firm order for two additional eight freighters. On April 21, 2010, Boeing Chief Executive Officer Jim McNerney announced the company would be accelerating production of the Boeing's uh, 747-800 and the 777 to support increasing customer demand. The 747-8's first engine runs were completed in December 2009, and Boeing announced a new model had successfully completed high-speed taxi tests on February 7, 2010. And uh, on February the 8th, 2010, after a two-and-a-half-hour delay due to the weather, the 747-800 freighter made its first maiden flight, taking off from the Painfield, Washington, at 12.39 Pacific Standard Time and landed at 4.18 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Boeing estimated that more than 1,600 flight hours would be needed in order to certify the 747-8, and the second flight test in February uh, began with a flight to Moses Lake, Washington, to test the new navigational equipment on board. Further flight testing was to taken place in the Moses Lake, conducting initial airworthiness and flutter tests before moving to Palmdale, California, for the majority of flight tests, so as to not interfere with a 787 flight test based out of Boeing's field in Seattle. During the flight test, Boeing discovered a buffet problem with the aircraft involving turbulence coming off the landing gear doors, interfering with the inboard flaps. They undertook evaluation tests of the issue, which involved developing a third test aircraft to investigate the problem. The issue was resolved by a design change to the outboard main landing gear doors, and in early February, uh, April 2010, Boeing identified a possible defect in a part at the top of the fuselage called a Longron. According to Boeing, the parts manufactured by subcontractor Vought Aircraft Industries are under certain loads uh, susceptible to cracking. And Boeing said that the issue would not affect the flight testing, but other sources stated that the problem could impact the operating envelope of the uh, test aircraft until it's fully repaired. On April 19, 2010, the second test flight aircraft was moved from Moses Lake Palmdale to uh, conduct tests on the aircraft's engines in preparation for obtaining type certification for the aircraft. The remaining aircraft in the test fleet are scheduled to be uh, moved into Palmdale during May that year. By the end of June 2010, the three 787Fs that composed the flight test program had flown a total of over 500 hours and completed hot weather testing in Arizona. And in June 2010, Boeing determined that a fourth 8F aircraft was needed to help complete the flight testing. It was decided to use the second production aircraft, RC-503, to conduct a non-instrument or minimally instrumented tests such as high HIRF and water display certifications. The aircraft painted in a delivery customer Cargolux's new livery first flew on July the 23rd, 2010. The 7478F received its amended type certificate jointly from the Federal Aviation Administration and the European Aviation Safety Administration on August the 19th, 2011 and freighted deliveries were to begin on September the 19th, 2011. In October 25th, 2011, the 787-8 Intercontinental flew to Grantley Adams International Airport in Barbados to begin flight testing in the tropical climate of the Caribbean to determine its effects on the aircraft. 
And the 7878 has an airport quota count of two for takeoff and one for landing, permitting night operations at London Heathrow Airport. After resolving all their contractual issues and problems, Boeing handed over their first 7478 freighter to Cargolux in Everett in Washington on uh, October 12, 2011. The freighter then flew to Seattle-Tacoma International Airport and picked up cargo before flying to Luxembourg. Lufthansa received its first 7478 Intercontinental on May 8, 2012 and began operating the 7478 Intercontinental on flights from Frankfurt to Washington, D.C. on June 1, 2012. Flights from Frankfurt to Delhi, Bangalore, Chicago and Los Angeles are to be added later. On September 15, 2012, the United States National Transportation Safety Board requested the grounding of GE-powered 7478s until engines received inspections following cracks discovered in three Gen X engines. On January 27, 2013, the 7478 uh, fleet reached the 1,000 hours mark and the 7478 production rate was increased or decreased sorry from 2 to 1.75 aircraft per month the future for the 7478 passenger version seems limited boeing's own 787 model delivers greater operational savings than the 7478 mainly in fuel costs and the 787 smaller size makes it a better fit for many air routes particularly high volume routes where the schedule convenience can deliver competitive advantages But its large cargo space, coupled with growing worldwide demand for more fuel-efficient air cargo transport, suggests that the 7478 cargo versions may have a strong future. So the technical statistics then for the 7478 uh, has a typical three-class configuration in the passenger version of 467 passengers. And uh, the cargo versions have a capacity of cargo of 30,288 cubic feet. Um, and the engines uh, for the aircraft are GDEX uh, 2B67, four of those producing 66,500 pounds of thrust. The fuel capacity for the Intercontinental is 64,000 US gallons, and the freighter can hold 60,755 US gallons. Maximum takeoff weight for the aircraft is 987,000 pounds, or converted, that's 447,696 kilograms. Maximum range of the aircraft, the Intercontinental, has a range of 8,000 nautical miles. Um, which meaning it can do flights from New York to Hong Kong, Los Angeles to Mumbai, or London to Singapore. The typical cruise speed of the aircraft at 35,000 feet is Mach 0.855 for the Intercontinental and 0.845 for the freighter. It has a wingspan of 68.5 metres, or 224 feet 7 inches, and has a length of 76.3 metres, or 250 feet 2 inches, with a tail height of 19.4 metres, or 63 feet 6 inches, and the interior cabin width being 6.1 metres, or 20.1 feet. So that's the uh, 747-800 series aircraft, freight and uh, passenger variant. 
obviously, uh, as we said, then Simon not been a huge seller for passenger um, um, aircraft. That <coughs> no, one. I think uh, that mainly be uh, cargo. Um, obviously, as a few airlines have got it as a passenger aircraft, but like um, a lot of airlines now using the A three eighty as a replacement um, aircraft to the seven four seven four hundred. But um, don't get me wrong, the seven four seven eight is um, a, a new aircraft. Um, so hopefully um, we'll get a few more passenger uh, aircraft of, the, uh, of this. Uh, and as we speak, um, we can hear something. Uh, that's, uh, a, that's a motorbike. <laughs> that's a motorbike. twice you've done that today, Simon. Are you sure? Yeah, that's not, our, um, not a helicopter, not the no. uh, air ambulance. No, no, no. no. They do sound a bit like uh, aircraft flying over when you have motorbikes going along the road. But, uh, yes. But no, that's... Uh, where we're going to bring the show to a close, then, yes, Simon. Yes, it's been a long and it's epic, been a long uh, show. Yeah. epic uh, show, and it's been an epic few weeks on the uh, air show circuit, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more um, exciting uh, air shows uh, coming in the next few, to, few days. So don't forget to join us back then in episode 27. Yes, um, and if you have any questions, please email us. Please send us, us. Send us an email. Text. Um, Drop us of, a line. Yes, please. We are, we're after questions. Uh, any information you want to know about, we'll try and get it for you. Um, any information you've got about any aircraft, airline, you, you name it. Anything to do with aviation, please, please, please uh, let us know. Yep, so... Uh, you can find us, don't forget, you can find us uh, on Facebook. You can uh, search for us on Facebook, Plane Talking UK. Uh, find us on there and like us. And also uh, you can find us uh, via the uh, internet if you type into your search box at the top, www.planetalkinguk.com. Plane spelt P-L-A-N-E. You can also follow us on Twitter as well. We're on Twitter, and we have a YouTube account as well. Search for us on there, Plain Talking UK. You can find us on there. Send us uh, send us some uh, feedback, and uh, don't forget you can also download us on iTunes, which uh, a lot of people do now. Da- yeah. Download us via iTunes. Yes, yes. And uh, also, don't forget as well, do come back for episode 26. We're going to have our Farnborough special. 27. 27, sorry. God, blimey. It's a long day, Simon. 27, yeah, episode 27, we'll do our uh, Farnborough air show uh, special with the interviews from there. Yes, and we've got the Super Connie. Um, a lot of people uh, don't know uh, perhaps what the Super Connie is. It's a Super Constellation. Um, don't tell them everything, Simon. They've got to wait till episode 27. <laughs> yes, so um, <laughs> lots of interesting uh, things uh, flying at, at that air show. And that was a fabulous air show, fabulous day out um, with our friend David Harris um, as well. So, yeah. So uh, we'd like to again thank all the uh, contributors to our interviews for RIAT and um, also uh, to uh, to the guys at uh, RF Fairford uh, for putting on such a fantastic uh, yes, show. Yes, yes, and uh, just such a shame uh, we had New Vulcan there, um, uh, which uh, was uh, really uh, uh, sad, and also uh, the F-35 um, due to technical uh, issues. So, um, yeah, but stay tuned. Um, we're going to go now. We're signing off. And, we're going to uh, sign off, yeah. And uh, thanks uh, for listening. And um, we'll uh, hope uh, you enjoy this show as uh, much as uh, we we did making it. Yep. So that's it then for episode 26 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Uh, I've been Carlos Stebbings and you've been... Simon Craig Walt Horton. <laughs> So join us back for episode 27 next week and uh, look forward to uh, producing another show for you then. So from Carlos, it's a sunny, warm goodbye. And from Simon, it's a sunny, warm goodbye too. Okay, goodbye. Bye.